Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guitar Stories, episode number 68. Dan, hello. Hello, Andy. How is everything? All is good. All is good. Um, I was at a guitar shop yesterday, so I'm, I'm full of guitar shop energy and looking at beautiful instruments and lots of pedals and switches on and lots of amps and even bass guitars. So I'm, I'm full of joy today. Great. Yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing fine. You know, I'm, I'm just like uh, started the week, second day, you know, with the weekend. I was spending weekend on my yacht and driving in my Porsche. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> sorry to say. How is, how is Malibu these days? Oh, it's it's quite crowded, you know. There's so many so many people stopping by, and you know. Sure, must be very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't like if they if they take a glimpse into the villa and everything. That's just like. I, I no, not know. the nor- yeah. not the normal people. Not with you, yeah. you upper class, <laughs> rich people. Oh, oh boy, what, what what am I getting myself into? I'm gonna clarify. Like we're we're joking because uh, some people obviously think that. Uh, Certain instruments that are being built and reviewed by Andy should not cost what they are cost uh, what they what they do cost uh, because you know everything must be cheaper, and I was sure. I was joking. Uh, we were both like joking, you know. That's that's how how we can afford you know the big cars and big houses. And I, I'm in Malibu right now. If you're watching the live version, this is a green screen of my studio <laughs> back in in Austria in a basement. Um, it's really hot. I've had to put this hoodie on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, how, yeah. Look, yeah. It says Los Angeles, California. There you go. I just bought yeah, it. Over I'm, there. I'm wearing my yeah. Fender hoodie, which I got in California, just just down the road. I mean, the, <laughs> the good the good thing about it is that like your trip to Fender is not exactly around the corner, but at least on the horizon, right? Mm, yeah, it's a small commute. Yeah. So pick up a few guitars. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh-huh. We uh, should say hello to the people in the live yeah, chat. Hello to Valeria, to Sarang, to Alexis Guitars, to Nissan 570 LSX, to Lucas, to Michael, to Jake Lee Guitar, to uh, you've just typed words, so I have to scroll back up again. Cranar is here, Melodify, Lucas, Guitar Ruckus, uh, Buzzle, who else is there? April, and a few others. Michael, hello, Michael. So if you're with us live, you have the honor of being joined by phil mcknight tonight if you're listening right. to the audio version then drive safely or, or be safe in what you're doing and you also have the honor of listening to the dulcet tones of mr philip mcknight who will be with us in just a moment once dan has done his glorious glorious introduction is it already time okay it is time okay so i was i was telling andy okay this this time i tried to keep it like short and concise so only like three to four sentences and then, like, I wrote this. And he said, that's not three or four sentences. But funny enough story is, you know, if you... It might have three, sorry, it may have three full stops, but that is not what I would say constitutes three or four sentences. So t- take a deep breath, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So tonight we're welcoming Philip McKnight, who's the man behind one of the largest and most insightful music gear YouTube channels called Know Your Gear. Established in 2015, his weekly Q&A live shows in regular formats like Sharp My X, in which he improved stock guitars provided from his users, uh, his users, yours, with superior aftermarket parts, have helped him building a community of guitarists that share his passion of gear and music. 
As a previous guitar shop owner and luthier, Phil is renowned for having a seemingly endless knowledge of instruments as well as the business behind the scenes, which has helped him to build relationships to industry icons such as Mike Soldano, Paul Reed Smith, or even Larry DiMarzio. So we are super happy to welcome him because it's the second attempt to have him on the show and tonight is the night. We're excited. So let's say hello well, there to he is. Phil. Hey. hey. <laughs> hello, Hi, Phil. Phil. Hey, how's it going? Excellent. All good. All good. You? Welcome to Guitar Stories. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm like, it's a, it's always like all, every story is the COVID story now, right? You're like, oh, we're going to do it and then COVID, then we're going to do it and <laughs> yeah. COVID. <laughs> But you can get so, away with some great things that you're not motivated to do by saying, you know, I feel a little bit ill recently. Or, or, yes. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, not only in person. Right? That's how you get out in person. You're like, oh, I got a little trick on the throat. I can't hang out with you guys. But in virtually, I don't know if that works. No. Yeah, okay, scratch enough. that. Yeah. All right. That doesn't work. <laughs> I don't have much of a life outside of this anyway. So it doesn't really yeah, matter. And I, I'm, uh, no. Yeah. Dan's busy in Malibu, so yeah, I yeah. Think it goes for yeah. all three of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show, dude. We're going to do some some guitar news. We've got some gear picks of the week. Phil has chosen something. Dan has chosen something. I've chosen something. And then we're going to talk about Phil's origin story, which Dan, how much did Dan get right, Phil, in that introduction? He's got a pretty good score normally. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, that was, I mean, that's all accurate information. <laughs> the, wow. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was good. It was really good. Cool. Here's the thing: with you, you can you can uh, search the internet and you find so so little information about Phil McKnight. You know, there's a little I bit hide. here and a little bit there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like usually I, with with artists, you can go on their website or go you know on on the endorser sites and just you know get the grab the artist bio. But with you, I really had to like dug out old videos. You know, what did he say about himself? Yeah, I. Uh... I uh, I said this uh, like five years ago. I was talking to a channel with a million subscribers. I said, it, and I'm not kidding. This is not a joke. This is going to sound like one. I said, the, in a perfect world, I would make lots of content, but no one would know who I am. Like that would be like the perfect world. Right. I said, I just don't want anybody to like, there shouldn't be anything other than the guitars. All right. Okay. So, That's an interesting approach. Yeah. 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 So I'm, yeah. I'm so it's working. I'm hiding as much information on the internet as I can. Yes, it's working. <laughs> You're doing it. And now we spoiled um, it. Like, <laughs> yeah, we've given away, given away all the details. Uh, I just want to point out that, um, where is it? I can't see it on the screen. It was uh, Mosul Blues says, um, it's good to see one YouTube pro in the show now. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Pretty sure he's referring to you, Phil. So thank oh, you for, well, for yeah. increasing our street cred. You, you um, gotta love a compliment that also has two like <laughs> slams yeah. at the same time, right? Yeah. I want to make somebody feel good and somebody make feel bad. How do I do that? <laughs> you executed it perfectly. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's that's our top uh, top comment at the moment, if there is such a thing. Uh, but yeah, um, let's let's do some news if we may, because uh, I've I've got a little bit of news, not a lot, just some stuff, and I want to play the jingle. first news today is something I want to throw on us because we haven't discussed it, Dan and, and Phil, is April Fools in the guitar world. This year, I was quite disappointed, generally speaking. I thought efforts were low, but also I didn't do anything. I didn't feel that April Fools would was a sort of topic this year, but yet several 
people went for it and several people nailed it and i think some people didn't does anyone okay. have a favorite april fools in guitar world this year i feel Pop like my the is... jokes are slowly just turning into dad visual dad jokes so so there's so they so they're very hit or miss just like dad jokes sometimes you're like all right trying too hard um i think that one thing that sucks about april fools it's great is it's also great is that you know it's coming so you're looking for it so to me the great april fool jokes are the ones where you're a little confused you, you want to be confused for at least a minute or so going and then go oh they're joking mm -hmm. red shaw i think did a good job with the jhs pedal i literally couldn't tell i had no desire to watch the video i was watching it because i'm like what do i want to pedal that sounds like singing but i couldn't <laughs> stop watching because i'm like all right, is this is this the joke, or did he just misalign this? Yeah. You know who so got I, me? Oh, I didn't that? mean to cut you off, but you know who got me on a non-April Fool's joke on April Fool's? Steve I. With the Hydra thing. I knew the Hydra existed, but he launched the video on April Fool's, and I was like, wait, I thought this guitar was serious all this time. Is this Was this for the <laughs> April Fool's joke? And then I watched it, and I'm like, well, it's really good. Like, this is the best April Fool's joke ever, because he looks like he's playing everything. <laughs> And then at the end, I'm like, no, it's just bad timing, huh? The first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reverse April Fools. I love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The ones that make you question your very being. Like, this can't be. It must be. It isn't. And for me, the Retschall and JHS was good. But because of the timing, I'm like, no way. Not getting me this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did get got by Monty's Guitars uh, in, in the UK, who said it was a local tradition from the place where i'm from to give gifts of alcohol in loaves of bread and he was just so, it was just so sort of benign that it was i forgot what the day it was and he had this loaf of bread that he put a bottle of wine or something in and glued it closed and i being a local to that area said i don't remember that tradition i must have missed that one and of course it was <laughs> april fools and I, I i did get fooled um sweet Dan, did, I, I know that Ibanez did one. I actually quite enjoyed your your Ibanez okay. visual um, bodiless guitar. Yeah, uh, I, I mean the best the best April Fool's jokes usually are the ones uh, people either believe it or they actually wish for the product. So uh, I remember like three years ago we had a, a Martin Miller Junior guitar, like a smaller scale Miller in pink. I still get inquiries for that model, so that's kind of pretty fantastic that it took off like that. But um, personally, I really enjoyed uh, Davey 504's uh, video. Like he had, no, 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 Davey 504's. Yeah, he had a video with the, the Gibson bass leak. And he put so much, you know, so much work and effort into that video. And actually, you know, what, what got me was that when I saw the, the Davey 504 uh, signature bass that he announced, I was like, huh, that sounds like a pretty, pretty logical thing. And I was like, no, that can't be. No. But. It, it come, I, I would not have been surprised, A, if Trogli would have released such a video because he's always like, you know, you know, looking in the source code of the websites for, for news and, and, and leaks and stuff. And, and also if Gibson was kind of hiding that stuff already, you know, and, you know, usually those kind of leaks, they just get out and then you know, they're everywhere. So that, that was pretty, pretty cool. I, um, I had something nice from Attic Audio, which um, it, it's a, a, some stickers that you can put on your pedals that apparently add tone to whatever you have put it on. So he's got some, <laughs> some carbon film resistors, some orange drop capacitors, and an, an invent your own, some germanium diodes. And if you stick it on your pedals, then it improves your tone. 
And I, I just like the fact that um, you can go, you could have gone to his website, given your address, and he'll just send you them for free. And um, I really love stickers, so I just wanted to give him Those a shout out. Absolutely amazing. Kind mm -hmm. of, I, I kind of felt that it was a, a nice idea to repurpose April Fools into just something cool and fun rather than funny. And, uh, and I said that I, I'd have to talk about it on the show because I, I really do enjoy the stickers. And now that I have done, I can stick them on things. So I'm That's excited cool. about that. But yeah, generally April Fool's, I think, yeah, it, it, I think it needs to go through a new a renaissance. We need, we need a new sort of April Fool's thing, maybe just being kind to people or something like that, or being, you know, having fun. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, like yeah, it, like I said, the game definitely gets upped. You know what I mean? I mean, the first time we started seeing a couple of years ago, they were just hilarious. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, it's tough. Like I said, that's why it's tough. And I don't look for them anymore. I just, uh, for me, I had a different problem. My my podcast was landed on Friday, April first, and I, I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to like, should I just give the wrong answers to the whole show and see how that goes? <laughs> my wife strongly talked me out of that idea, by the way. That was my idea going in. I was like, what if I just answer every question just blatantly wrong? And then my wife's like, what if they don't get it? I'm like, well, they'll get it. I'll be blatant. She's like, no, nah, I don't think it's a good idea. <laughs> so I was a little nervous about April Fool's because of that. I think she was 100% correct. <laughs> yeah, I think she was too. Yeah, yeah it, it's, yeah, but. April Fools next year. I, I couldn't top what I did. Was it last year or a few years ago when I did the Boss Clon CT three yeah. or whatever? Yes. Uh, I couldn't top it. It was too much work and, and too much fun. So I just decided to not do it this year. Hopefully, I'll be back next year with something, hopefully simple and and successful. But I got me some stickers. I might copy that idea. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I want to move on to a second piece of news, which is important to me and some of our viewers, and that is today is the. 28th anniversary of the death of Kurt Cobain, meaning that he was wow. be, he's been dead longer than he was alive, which makes me firstly feel old and uh, and confused. But I was at um I was at Klangfarbe, the music shop in Vienna, and I saw this Kurt Cobain tribute night um, at the Loft, as it, which is a bar in Vienna that I've, I've been to a few times, and they have a 90s club. Um, which is obviously sounds for me amazing, but makes me again feel a little step older. And 28 years without Kurt Cobain seems like such a long, long, long time. It's crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> RIP Kurt. And in fact, yeah. only last week we were talking about Taylor Hawkins, which, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, that's, that's just reminded me again. Wow. So, yeah, I just wanted to put it out there. I want to move on, do the positive thing. But 28 years um, without Kurt Cobain, I wouldn't be here. And then by proxy, neither would anyone right now. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of important. And uh, I've got behind me my, my Kurt Cobain signature, hey, that's oh, nice. which is awesome. With the brighter... pickups. Hey. What, what? On the brighter side, I mean, actually, you holding that up that fire is something that's like a positive thing to happen even 28 years after he has passed away that people still remember him and celebrate his music and that he's still around if not as a physical person at least his spirit and you know his idea what how he wanted his music to sound like and so yeah uh let's just stay on death for a moment <laughs> fergie in france says it's also 10 years today since jim marshall passed away all right wow. okay uh, well have, have you ever met jim marshall 
something. I did. Yes. Yeah, I met him. He was at the NAM show. That's when he was in a wheelchair. Remember towards the end, he was just always in a wheelchair. Mm. And um, uh, the interesting thing was, this is before I had a YouTube channel. So it was right before I started making any YouTube videos. I filmed the entire uh, interaction with him. And I had him, I asked him a, a question about 412 cabinets. He told me the story. And then when I did the five things you don't know about Marshall cabinets, I, I told the story. And then I had people at the NAM show <laughs> from Marshall tell me that was wrong and i go oh you want to see the video on my phone of jim marshall telling me the story <laughs> 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 and then it but it made me nervous like well he was getting a little old towards the end maybe the story <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe i just fell for it i don't know but i'm like i'm pretty sure but i'm like either way he's the one who told me the story okay. um, so but yeah he was super nice i mean you know uh that was you know, the NAMM show, you, that was what was great. You can walk around and just talk to the inventors of things. They just sit there and you just like walk up to them and ask them anything. You know, Hartley mm -hmm. Peavy, Jim Marshall, just, you know, it's great. Yeah. Will, uh, will you be at NAMM this year, uh, Phil? I I always say I'm never going and then I always go. So I always stick with that <laughs> answer. <laughs> okay. Answer accepted. I will not it's, see you there then. Yeah. I'm like, you know, it's like you're like, this is the year. I'm not going. And then I go a week before I go, well, I'm going to go. <laughs> See, for me, it's easy because it's a six and a half, seven hour drive tops. So, you know, All right. I can leave right. at noon and be there in the afternoon. So I'll. So. As, as Europeans, Dan and I have to sort of get confused by that being not a very long time to drive. Yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah. from Germany, from north to south. Like, <laughs> yeah. I could drive to you, Dan, in about six hours. Yeah, correct. We should start doing that. I could leave at midday and I'll be with you by the time for the show. See, it's easy. <laughs> There you go. But yeah, um, I knew that. So I just I knew that someone was going to comment this, and that is that Sarang said I really want to meet Mr. Harley Benton someday because I thought you were going to say Harley Benton, Phil, when you said Harley Peavy, <laughs> and when you did the Harley Benton video at Tolman, it was so much fun. So thank yeah. you, Sarang, for for that. You're never going to meet him. I've decided he's just he's just too too cool. You can't you can't nah, find him. Don't meet your heroes. No. <laughs> um, that would right, actually make well, for a pretty interesting video. Like uh, uh, industry, music industry people you're never going to meet. Like Mr. Eusen Kettner, Mr. Harley Benton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Then you know what? Uh, uh, that would be a good video. Andy, you Thank should you. make it. It's a video on people that don't exist. Like yeah. how many companies have like people that don't get, exist? There's probably more than you would think. Yeah. Have you experienced that, Andy, with like when I'm dealing with smaller companies? I'll, sometimes they'll be like, you know, the brand is called, let's say Jones. And I'm like, uh, and your name's Jones, right? And they're like, no, my name's like Dave. And you're like, or Davis. And I'm like, oh, who's Jones? Like nobody. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah. I, often, uh, yes and no. But the one I like is when I don't get any name whatsoever. And it's just from the company. So after about three or four emails, I'm like, do you want to tell me your name now? Just, and I know for a fact that, that it's actually several people because the email sort of, changes and i feel like i i at the, at the bottom rung i talked to some person who just blanket emails everybody and then you get pushed off to somebody else so <laughs> i like to collect names of, of people yeah. uh from the company whichever company yeah. it may be that's a oh, fun game I, I don't want to run anything off the rails but my favorite is to see how generic they can make the email but still apply to everyone they want to send it to <laughs> oh yeah yeah 
and sometimes I'm so impressed by it because they go like it's really like and sometimes they throw that one token in there like you have X and many subscribers so you're like okay well at least they check that right or they'll or they have your name like something right they have something one thing but then everything else was templated right yeah. but my favorite yeah. are the ones like it's so generic they could be talking to a thousand people this email could have been sent out to a thousand people and apply you know <laughs> you have YouTube that is great we want to work with you. We've really enjoyed your videos of recently. <laughs> I like it when it just says, an email says, dear, and then the guitar geek all in one with no spaces because I know they've copied and pasted it from my channel. Yeah. You, we really love your videos. Do you? Yeah. Which ones in particular do you love? That's always my first response. Which ones did you think that I was brilliant at? And which ones did you not like? You know, just give me a top 10. <laughs> it's like meeting yeah, people anyway. and say, I'm a huge fan of your channel, you know. All right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, no. The trick is I've learned the trick. Uh I talked I was talking to Dovidas one night and we figured it out. Okay. It's it. when they say, I've seen your videos. That's the thing that they can get away with because they go, Oh, I've seen your videos. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean they like you, dislike you. It's really and you and then you go, well, I don't know what that meant. <laughs> Walk away. It's like, it's, I accept it's your, very neutral. your presence. Yeah, you exist. You exist. Yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to start doing that to people. Hi, yeah. Phil. I've seen your videos. Yeah. And, and way, the way you say it can really sort of, it can be quite menacing. I've seen oh, your yeah. videos. Well, in my particular case, what was funny was they go, I've seen your videos. I'm like, oh, I'm glad you liked them. And then we talked about it later. And I'm like, well, actually, I didn't say they liked them. In fact, they didn't say anything. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Charlie Cooper from Orange says, I know of your videos. That's pretty good. That's even more neutral. That's, that's yes. very, very on the surface. <laughs> Maybe you could just walk up to someone and say, hmm, videos. Videos. <laughs> I recognize Video. you have a channel, a channel on YouTube. How's that? Good. That's pretty good. Yeah. It's just, it's just too, like a statement. too polite. Yeah, it's just a statement. <laughs> right, I want to talk some gear, gentlemen. Um, right. Let's go gear. Um, let me change my screen just here. Uh, picks of the week. Um, I would like Phil. Would you mind going first with your with your pick of the week? Sure. Or, or it could be you or Dan. I'll let you choose, Phil, because I absolutely have to go last this week because it's a bit of a competition. And I do you have the photo or bend, bend I, the rules? Do I, the I do have the photo. Um, I will put it on screen right now, sir. There you go. Look at that. So this is the new Ibanez for 2022, and they came out with a new color, right? <laughs> Yay! I mean, yeah. Well, hey, this is a big deal because. I, this is the guitar I want with Fishman's. I played this one in the, uh, what's the blue called, Dan? Uh, Frozen Ocean. In Frozen Ocean. I remember it was at the, um, it was at one of the events or something. I don't know how I got my hands you, on it. The Hughes and Kettner show. Hughes and Kettner. And, yeah. and I love the finish, but I wasn't cool. I wasn't excited about the ash body sticking through, right? Mm -hmm. And I love the guitar. And I kept thinking, man, if they made that guitar in a different finish, I would definitely consider it. And then bam. And then, of course, flip-flop. I love this because ever since they made the John Mayer flip-flop and people have decided that you know flip-flops should cost a gazillion dollars, oh, uh, look at him holding it. This is I it. Have... This is a 
let's oh that's me hang on let's stick dan oh. there you go dan dan has it in his hands dear audio listeners um it is it's flipping and flopping together this this look you guys did took me so much time to decide i liked this idea that the back and sides are unfinished or you know wood exposed right even though it's got a finish on there and then painting the top like a like a gibson gold top and at first i was like this is horrible and then slowly over time it grows it starts like it grows on you and you're like all of a sudden you're like okay i like this i don't know why i like it more and more um and the thing I like about that guitar especially, especially is that tremolo with Fishman's, man, it's cool. It's almost like having a sustainiac. You hit a note because those pickups sustain so well. So, yeah. <laughs> Can you hear that sound? Yeah. <laughs> that that sounds like my kitchen door. <laughs> yeah. I have a thing on my kitchen door that makes that sound. <laughs> guitar. Yeah, just woken up all the, all the dogs in the, in the countries around the world. Um, <laughs> there we go. Uh, let's look at the back quickly. So what, what's the model number of this, Phil? I have no idea. A bunch of letters. That's the RG bunch of letters and numbers. 5120M. 5120M. I do every, every Ibanez video, I do the same way. I, uh, I go, I don't even say the name. And then when I finish, I do the video editing, I edit over the name of the guitar. <laughs> I have decided that is my semi-unofficial protest against Ibanez not naming names. I know Dan gets it every time, every day, but it drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, and I think Ivan is just does it at this point out of spite because they know they got the feedback so consistently. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Just call them names. <laughs> That's a, the problem. What would you call that, is... Phil? What What would you name that if you oh, yeah. if you give could it, name, name that like guitar? The unofficial Phil. Put you on the spot for a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you put me on the spot. So uh, it's got the it's edge. Which edge is that, Dan? Low pro. It's the low pro. Okay, it's got I Fishman's. would call it. I know it sucks because it's kind of a Gibson name, but it's it's to me it's the fitting name for that. It's the RG Vintage Classic, because it's got a little vintage thing going on with that top being on there, right? Or Vintage Modern. I'm sorry, Vintage Modern. Vintage that's Modern. Okay. Yeah. Right. Vintage Modern. To me, that's what that reminds me of. It's like that's why I'm, I think I fell in love with these. It's like what I like about old Ibanez 80s, 90s era RGs, and then something about more classic behind that. But then the Fishman's bringing it, you know, to the modern future and the, with the laminate neck. So it's the RG modern, uh, vintage modern. Okay. Instead of the I would RG call it, bunch of letters. I've got, I've got, I've got a good one. I've got a good one. Hang on. Let me, I'm just going in my head. Fisherman on the edge. That's awful. Hang on. No fishy flip flop edge. No, no, Phil. Yours is better. Vintage. Yeah. I'm with Phil on that. Absolutely. Yeah. What about prestige progressive series? No, 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 no prestige, because here's the, here's the, for me, prestige and premium is just labeling like tiers. Like to me, it's like S2 versus core. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that's, so it's never, that's never part of the name for me. Even when you guys put on the headstock, I don't right. even know why it's on the headstock sometimes. Cause to me, it's just a label of the tier structure that you guys use. Not mm-hmm. really the name of the guitar. Just so that me. would go at the end, wouldn't it? It would go, whatever the name is, then prestige. Yeah. Because like then when you do it that way, then you just make a premium and a prestige, and then I'll buy the premium. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be well, the perfect segue for to our main discussion, but we should save absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yes, we'll save that for later. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Yep. All right, um, Dan, 
can we can we move on to your pick, or have you got more to say on on Phil's pick? Or uh, yeah, like just a couple additions. I, I really like the the idea of calling it like a vintage modern because you know it adds a couple of features to you know what what people would expect from an RG series like stainless steel frets, like the um, the Fishman Fluence pickups. It's just like you know taking the old ninety eighty seven concept and bringing it to twenty twenty two, and that's re really what this is all about. Mahogany body. It's got the ash top, although you can't see it. And uh, yeah, that's the basic recipe. Especially now, I mean, Ibanez, the RG is vintage. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, when did the RGs come out? 87, 86? Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. All right, so we're talking about Kirko Bain passed away 28 years ago, right? I mean, this, yeah. is, this predates that. So, so that's what I said. At this point, Ibanez can now do the thing that the other big guys do, which is tap into their history and say, look, we went into the history in 1987 and we got an RG and we made it a little bit more oh, modern. You could find a, a pencil drawing of something that was designed and not released. <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe something that is like tulip tulip shaped? Yes. Is a banana yeah, head yeah. start no, or something? Yeah. No, it has to be daffodil or, or rose or something. All right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've just noticed that we have 117 people watching right now. Which wow. uh, Phil certainly relates to you because I think that's a record this early on in the show. It normally takes us at least four hours to get to 116, but um, yeah, <laughs> we're on 170. Hello, everybody! Welcome to the show. Yeah. It is Dan's turn to choose some gear, so it get, Dan gets a little jingle for this. Phil, you didn't get a jingle. I'm very sorry, um, but Dan does get one. It's uh, Dan's pick of the week. Dan's pick of the I love that jingle. Andy made that. That was like so, a super, Dan, super. What is your pick of the week? Made surprise. Uh, my pick of the week. Can you show a picture, maybe, of my pick of the week? And quite Puching. coincidentally, yes, I can. Puching. Oh, now now Phil is gone, but uh, he's he's temporarily. No, I've moved you. There you go. There you go. I knew you were gonna pick that. I yeah. Because you posted it on his Instagram, <laughs> and, he, and he was he was. What is it, Dan? We have we have people listening on audio. Tell us what it is. All right, that's the new Ibanez Geo, GRG121SP. And this is a very special model because uh, it had been released in the States as a some sort of spot production kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we were so impressed by the qualities of the sample that we received that we were like, we need that model. We need that for Europe. And, uh, yeah, basically now it's it has become a regular model, uh, shipping from, I think, eight, uh, late June or something. And it's like, my new favorite budget guitar and budget really doesn't re isn't isn't re right the, the right term for that instrument because it's a sub 300 euros roasted maple rg and i love the paint job it's amazing i, I showed you a couple pictures it looks so much like more expensive and it looks just glorious i mean and the cool thing about that is that spec wise it kind of combines serious bones you know it, it puts together all the ingredients you would expect from a affordable yet um quality guitar you know that kind of brings brings all the values to the table that you really need for as a gigging musician but you don't have to spend like a grand or something to get an instrument that you can actually gig with and like i said the roasted maple is something that's like the usp for that that instrument it blew me away and i'm not exaggerating sorry say, say that again roasted maple 
it's got a roasted maple neck and a jatoba fretboard yeah and that roasted maple neck usually those kind of guitars from chinese factories they sometimes can feel a little bit I don't know what's the right term. Not 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 cheap, but different, you know, compared to let's say a higher tier, a premium or prestige model. And with that neck was the first time I I kind of played it. It felt immediately like a much higher priced instrument, and it was something where I kind of wrote back to Japan. And I was like, "Is that a roasted maple neck? And is that new machinery you're using?" They were like, "Oh, glad you noticed. Yeah, it is." So, new factory, new model amazing that's my favorite by far i would i would pick that guitar over every other budget model not because of the name on the headstock but just because the neck is gorgeous uh it's got classic elite humbuckers so that's ibanez proprietary pickups not like quantum pickups or uh, resolution or all the other like lower tier pickups it's kind of already you know the next next level when it comes to the pickups uh, it's got a fixed bridge which which is also often a a point of concern for a lot of beginners if they have a mm -hmm. uh, affordable guitar and the tremolo is not tuning stable so it it, it will stay in tune perfectly uh poplar body a great paint job I'm, I'm just like i was blown away by that you know we had other models like the rg uh, the grg 220 that got released as well with the shock pin inlays and hang on hang uh, on was... dan dan you're not at work chill out it's okay relax you're amongst friends calm down I know. But I'm so excited I, about it. I feel for him. I find the only thing I get excited anymore about is inexpensive guitars that are good now. Yeah. It's, like, it's weird. <laughs> Nothing impressed me. When somebody hands me a guitar and I go, wow, and they go five grand, I go, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Then I put like, I'm, you know, you're like, of course, of course. Because if it was sucking, I have much like, more fun with affordable guitars than anything yeah. because it's, yeah. it's always a surprise. It's a mystery. It's a wonder. Yes. It's Dan, what is I mean, the price of that uh, GRG uh, Guru? <laughs> it's I'm gonna call it. Oh, two ninety nine. Can I name it? I want to name okay. it the. Sure. I want to name it the RG Nebula Lawsuit Edition. <gasps> oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it, Phil. <laughs> I think Ivan has had this lawsuit already back in the day. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's the two ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. You're leaning on your past history. That's just good. Yeah, Bring it back. Go. Oh yeah, the new lawsuit. In fact, Yes. If you yeah, the new lawsuit, you could really, really ruffle some feathers by bringing out a certain <laughs> type of guitar. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's gorgeous. Here's the thing. Uh, I think uh, Phil had a, on his channel there was one question from a, a viewer that was asking: Are Epiphones for collecting, uh, for for, for oh, playing, yeah. and Gibsons Gibsons for collecting? And I think this is what also kind of excites me about those inexpensive guitars. You know, if I have my my Sugi guitar at home. I touch it, I play it, but I'm super careful and I wouldn't even consider gigging with it. But that guitar, you know, I would swap pickups, I would put locking tuners on it, I would maybe, you know, change a thing here and there, put stickers on it, and I wouldn't even mind. I would just enjoy the actual process of morphing that instrument from, you know, the first stage to a second stage to a third stage and go through all those iterations with, with just the joy of having a great, like, Bones guitar that can do it all and, and just enjoy the process instead of, you know, thinking about, Am I actually decreasing the value of the instrument? Can I ever sell it? And yeah, and that's what what makes it so fun to me personally. To have those inexpensive. Dan, just a quick question about the specs: Is it a five-way switch or a three-way switch on those humbuckers? Because is it, is it core splitable? Really? Oh, um, pressure now. Because you said it can do it all, and if it's two humbuckers, I think it's then... a three-way switch. Yeah. So I might I might have lied here, but the rest is just <sighs> like. Lies yeah. upon lies. I, I, but here's the thing, you know, we received a couple samples and they were kind of stowed away because the guitar was not released on January 1st. 
And now we send them out to YouTubers and, and artists to kind of produce cool content. So we don't even have them here to play it. You know, I would have loved to show it to you the guitar in the flesh because it's it's really gorgeous. Uh, but I don't have any here. They are all with artists and, and, and YouTubers. So a lot of people are saying in the comments five. Five way? Okay. Well, they're saying five. Better than me. Bunch of Thanks for your help. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, Valeria Melodify. Thank you, everybody. Five. In that case, Dan, I take it back. You did not lie because you said it could do it all. And if it's got five, I'd I'd say that you could quite rightly say that. Great. Thanks for the help, and, guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's time for my pick of the week. So I've had enough of this Ibanez, just constant <laughs> Ibanez guitars and consistently talking about Dan's job. So it's my turn. Now, sorry, Dan. My pick of the week was tough because I'd like to complain that there's not enough new gear coming out this week or last week. I had real trouble. Um, and I think we need more. And yeah, so at almost the last moment, at the 11th hour, Fender announced the Nile Rogers signature strat, which I dig. I love it. I think it's good. I like the fact that it's based very much on his guitar and it looks and I like they've got the, the right knobs and it's a good strat. And if you look at the original strat, uh, Fender are marketing this as the what did they what did they say? The hit maker has made two billion dollars worth of hits, which is insane. <laughs> and it's been on songs that I didn't even know. So it's obviously been on on chic uh, songs and it's been on Get Lucky. But it's all, it was also on Like a Virgin by Madonna. Had no idea. So yeah it's um it's an important guitar and it's nice that it's getting recognized and now rogers is is really in the news and getting recognized by fender and that was going to be my pick of the week so turning it a little bit but it's 2800 euros and uh that puts it over three thousand dollars which to me i don't know it makes it more of a, a less interesting as you said phil of course three thousand dollars yeah brilliant great yeah so my pick of the week this year, this week is not that. My pick of the week is the same Ibanez as Dan. <laughs> um, it's the GRG uh, numbers, numbers, letters, because the rules of pick of the week is whatever piece of gear excites you the most in the past seven days. And when you posted your photo of the of this guitar, I had no idea it was a Geo. I really, really didn't. Right. And it was only because I was I was busy and doing stuff. And then only when you wrote to me today, I'm going to pick that Geo. I was like, what Geo? The one I posted. That's a Geo? So, right. <laughs> yeah, Ivanez, you've got three out of three this week, which I think is a first. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a first that Dan and I, we have the same pick. Is that, yep. have we done that before? Nope. Well, okay. sometimes we've kind of shared picks or, you know, pushed mm -hmm. one pick to, to the other guy. But yeah, yep. that's a first. So. Technically, there's only two picks this week because, and they're all Ibanez. So, yeah, that's that's going to be confusing for our next section of buy, borrow, or burn. Um, <laughs> that's a first. Uh, yeah, first, first in, in but, guitar but, stories history. But tell me, Andy, what's what's like what's the guitar about? Does it have a five-way switch or a? I can. I know so much about this guitar, Dan. I probably know more than you. <laughs> it's got um, it's got a color on it. 
It's do you know okay. something? It was very popular in the US, and it was not supposed to be a, a, an actual production run. And then we loved it so no, not we, damn. Uh, some people loved it so much at Ivanes in Europe that they said we have to have that as a production run. And 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 then they said let's make sure it can do everything and and put a non-trem bridge on it. So we're going to have hardtails so that the beginners don't get any tuning issues. And then we're going to put a five-way switch on it so you can get split coil sounds and everything. I think. <laughs> But I'd probably just, you know, I'd probably buy it so I could put extra pickups in it and locking tuners on it and not worry about it. I think this guy yeah. in the comments, Justin, just won. Look, he says he would buy the Ibanez, borrow the Ibanez, and burn the Ibanez. There you oh. go. I love it. I love it. I dig that so hard. I wish I could find the, com the comment to put it on screen, but um, Restream is not being kind this evening. Okay, well, people in the chat, whilst we deliberate over what our buy, borrow, or burn uh, brands will be, can you please decide which of these two picks this week you would buy, borrow, and or uh, burn? Buy, borrow, or burn. So, I don't know how to do this. I, I genuinely have no idea. Uh, Shall I go first? I'll, I'll go first. Yeah. I'll just throw okay. myself out there. I would I would buy the Geo Ibanez. I would borrow the RG that isn't a Geo Ibanez. <laughs> and then I'd burn both of them to see which one burned the longest. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Please have something more okay. interesting than that. Who goes next? Phil, mm. do, yeah, guest right. next. Guest in the middle. Have a Phil sandwich. I would, I would buy the uh, the Ibanez. I'm gonna buy that guitar. That's how I. That's how when you ask which one would I pick this week, I'm like, oh, I was looking at them. Uh, I'm waiting for them to get in stock, right? Um, so I'm definitely gonna buy that one, uh, and then I would borrow the uh, Geo, and then I would burn the other Geo to scare the crap out of the other Geo I borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> to show it like that's what happens if you don't <laughs> stay in tune or or i would burn it to finish the 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 neck like they already started cooking the neck i just finished cooking the neck wow that's a good Set one fire yeah. to it there you go much better much better Turn Thank my treatment you, Phil. of the body there you go yeah, yeah. Okay, before Dan, before you give us your amazing insights onto what you're gonna, which brand you're going to buy, borrow, and burn this week, let's have a look at the people in the chat. So Fergie in France would buy Phil's Ibanez, borrow the Geo. I'm a Prestige J-Craft convert. Okay, the, the, you've 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 not chosen a burn there, Fergie. You, you know the rules. You know the rules. Um, what else we got? We've got Lucas buy the Geo lawsuit, borrow the RG Modern Prestige. Got to burn something. Got to burn. People are forgetting to burn. Uh, Luke Lukens, that's a second Lukey kind of person. Buy the Fender, borrow the RG, and burn the other one. Okay. Also pushing the, the, the rules there, but I like it. It's it's creative. Cranar <laughs> would buy the Geo, borrow the IG, burn both boxes they came in. So they don't go back. Very clever. Then the one you nice. borrow can't be returned. Nice. Uh, what about Justin? Oh, this is Justin, the, the one that uh, would buy, borrow, and burn every Ibanez. Uh, okay, now seriously, buy the Geo, borrow the IG, never burn an Ibanez. 
Dan, how do you feel about that? You feel happy now? Nice and warm, as if you're sitting yeah. beside an RG fire. Uh, Paul, this is quite cool. Paul would use a random number generator to decide which random number model to buy or borrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so enough from the chat. Dan, please reveal which brand would you buy or borrow or burn this week? Which brand or which model? Either way. Either way. Okay. So I would definitely buy the Geo because, like I said, it's the perfect mod platform. And I'm super excited that uh, Japan kind of gave permission to have this model for the German and, and Eastern markets. So that's pretty cool. Um, I would borrow the, the Prestige because I've got already a lot of guitars and I don't know if I need another Prestige high end guitar. It's a nice one, but, you know, not necessarily something that I desperately need around and uh i would burn the boxes too because i don't need them i you could I, I would even burn the case because i don't like hard cases anyway so i'll just stick with gig bags it's they are you know they they consume much less space and you know they will do it how's that aren't you, okay aren't you okay. aren't you glad no one cares what youtubers think because otherwise like you could see if the press <laughs> followed us it would be youtubers refuse to recycle cardboard and instead burn it <laughs> 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 true true yeah. Yeah. although the amount of guitar boxes i have in my house i i think i could probably start a little guitar box city so, i have an exemption in my town this is not i'm not kidding i have two recycle cans so i have two blue you know the big recycle cans because i go through so much cardboard each week and we we have a cardboard day where we cut it all up and and so my wife called the, the the town the city and said, "Can we get two recycled trash cans?" And they said, "Yeah." So I have two recycled trash cans a week that get picked up, big ones, because oh, wow. so much cardboard. Yep. Get you in the special treatment. That's awesome. That's right. well, I'm glad it's being recycled. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, in a similar way, I take a Saturday morning trip with my kids to the local recycling place, which is five minutes up the road, and and I let them yeah. throw them in the in the compacting thing. Oh, uh, assuming I haven't used or purposed them and my son wants to be a robot for a week or something, which which happens quite often. Um, I say my son, it's me. I like to be a robot. <laughs> Sometimes I let him play with me. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm amazed that we had all Ibanez, but the rules of the of the game is what, what excites you the most. So I have to be mm -hmm. honest, and, and we're all honest, and Dan was always going to choose one of those anyway because that's his passion. Got to be passionate. Agree. Agree. Yes. Um, yeah. So thank you, chat people, for, for joining in. And um, we get to do our little thank you again to Phil for joining us. And we do our, our Phil topic. And then we're going to move on to talking about the country of origin of guitars, which we've kind of hinted at several times in this conversation. And I'm very excited to know what the people in the chat think as well, because you are the people that purchase these guitars and, and therefore the ones that make the real decisions. So um, make sure you, you chime in. and. Um, and join in with the conversation. But uh, I do a little a little jingle so we can have a little break. All Tonight right. we are joined by Mr. Philip McKnight, our guest in episode number 68. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have too much and thank you for bringing so many people with you. There's loads of people thanks. watching, so thanks for yeah. doing that. 
Yeah, we wanted yes. to get a bit into your guitar story, which I know has been covered several times, but be trying, because you're trying to keep as anonymous as possible and, and uh, keep things <laughs> off the internet, maybe we could delve a little bit deeper. So I know sure. Dan's got some questions for you, so I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you lead, Dan. All right. Well, if we start with the origin story, of course, I would be intrigued to hear what was like the first guitar you picked up and what made you kind of pick up a, a guitar at all. The first, the first guitar I ever picked up or the first guitar, my first guitar. Your first guitar. Well, my first guitar was a JB player. Um, okay. So I wanted to play guitar. Like, you know how girl, uh, you know how everybody says, like, I wanted to get girls or whatever they say. It has nothing okay. to do with me. Uh, no idea what you're talking about. I, I, I literally, my friend started playing guitar and like everybody that I knew, you were just looking for stuff to do all the time. You know what I mean? You, uh, yep. you, you know, you, 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 so I was like, oh, guitar, that's something to do. And um, okay. I didn't know that there was bass players and guitar players. So I thought, oh, Nikki Six from Motley Crue, that guy's cool. I want to do what he does. So I go, I thought he played guitar. So I bought a guitar. Um, <laughs> and so I got a JB player, a Fender knockoff uh, and went into the music store. It was the, the typical music store where you go in and they, they didn't care at all. You're like, what are you into, kid? And I'm like, I like Motley Crue. And he's like, cool, here's a single coil Strat and amp with no distortion. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so <laughs> so i had Get that and, and then uh and then once i figured out you know how bad it was no tuner by the way i uh i used to have to go to well i didn't i went to go to lessons my teacher would tune the guitar and then i would practice what he taught me until my guitar was slowly fall out of tune during the week and then I would just right. make up songs on out of tune guitars until it was time to go back and get tuned again <laughs> and, and uh and uh, but I worked my butt off because I uh, my I figured out real fast that you need distortion. You know, you need to rock out. Yeah. So that's where, where the carrot came from with my parents. They were my mom was like, "I'll buy you whatever this pedal is, but you got to show me you're good." And I go, "Okay." So I just pr would practice to get a pedal. So all right, yeah, that's cool. Do you? I, I don't know how it was in the states, but uh, in Europe or Germany, to be more precise, we had those kind of tuning pipes. There were like a star, you know. Yeah, each, yeah. Each uh, each tip had like yeah, we had those as well. Uh, yeah, tone, and then you would blow in and and then yep. tune it. It was like, it sounds like that was ancient Greek times compared to you know today. You just take a smartphone and then you well, they tune were, it up. Well, they were to put put it in reference. They were twelve dollars for that thing. So like yep. that's how it broke wow. down. You went in the music store. The Sabine the Sabine tuners were fifty dollars. Then mm -hmm. the pitch pipe tuners were like $12. So when you're in a world where you're like, okay, the guitar is used, JB player strat, and a little CMC one six inch speaker used amp, and the, you know, those free crappy guitar cables, that's like 150 bucks. Mm -hmm. There is no budget for anything besides, you know, at 150, there's no budget for like to take it up to 170 and stuff. So no guitar stand, no tuner, no, none of that stuff. You know, you just, going in you know you know how you, you, a lot of people's probably started their journey this way your parents basically go uh yeah we want to buy them a guitar for like 50 bucks and then the store owners like laugh ha 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 this, this thing is that price point right because that's how it works with all parents right they have a price in their head that <laughs> yeah. doesn't exist and they're like yeah. we could get you this hunk of crap for 150 bucks and then your parents are like all right that's what it's going to cost you know what i mean and mm -hmm. then that's what you get and if you uh, so so yeah to try to get a pitch pipe <laughs> it's like uh you know and uh, when and in my uh, my guitar lessons were eight dollars a lesson, and wow. um, 
Yeah, which was expensive, right? Well, it was eight to ten dollars, depending on you know. And so I didn't ask for anything because uh, uh, sometimes I would get. I've told this story before, sadly enough. Sometimes I would get money for lessons. Like that's how my would worked in my house, right? Like that mm -hmm. was a you know luxury expenses came when they came, right? Mm -hmm. My parents, no matter how much I tried to explain to my mom that you have to go every week to your teacher's lesson, right? Um, she didn't understand that. She just like on Monday, she either gave me the lesson money that week or she didn't, right? Okay. And if she did, I went to my lesson. If she didn't, I just made up a reason why I couldn't be there to the teacher. You know what I mean? So he wouldn't kick me off the roster. I'd be <laughs> like, and then slowly, I guess, you know, because he's not stupid, he figured out like I was only going to come when I could come because I'd come in a row three, four times and I wouldn't be missing one. He would just start plugging me in where, you know, where there was lessons. But uh, so the reason I tell you that is there's no way I could ask for $12 for a pitch pipe. It was already hard enough to get the lesson money. You know, you don't want to add to the problem. Go, I need this tuner. And they're like, you know, well, then let's quit lessons. You know, like, no, no, <laughs> let's, let's step backwards. <laughs> let's not do that. So. I, I remember breaking a string on the school bass guitar and I had to spend all my pocket money like for the month to get a bus to the local city to go to the music shop to buy a string that cost four pounds and then get to the bus back and then go to school and, and sheepishly give it to the, the, the school teacher who I I thinking back then why did he make me pay for the string if the you know the school it was like a 70s possibly an Ibanez um, no it was, it was a, a yeah I think it was um, yeah so I was I think it was a punishment for, for playing music that he didn't like on it which was All right. three chord punk, but um, <laughs> yeah, those those first guitars are, are, are funny. So so, how did you get Phil from first guitar and all those you know pretty much begging for for lessons to to owning a music shop to, to being so far being on the other side of the counter, I guess, and sure, uh, and selling those twelve dollar pitch pipes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, now let's we, make them fourteen. <laughs> yeah well you know what's uh yeah that's a good well you know what's sad is uh you know tuners got dirt cheap uh in the early mid 90s they just mm. became cheap i still have my cord tuner that i played 90 dollars for in 94 right wow uh it was a big deal it was 89 dollars plus tax and uh you know and then now i mean now you can get a snark for seven dollars on amazon if you, you know what i mean that's accurate within half a cent probably um so how how that how that worked is real simple. At at I did what everybody did that's poor. I joined the military. <laughs> so at some point right. that's what happens. Actually, um, I actually got a job. It's funny when I was a kid, I was going to community college at first, and I was going. To, I was working in a music store, and uh, my girlfriend, who's my wife, well, we've known each other since we were thirteen years old. We've known each other a long time. We weren't dating or anything. We just knew each other so much. But we were dating and. Uh, and, you know, like anybody, you work in a music store and you're like, hey, you're broke, right? You're just minimum wage broke. And uh, so what happened was I, I, I decided, well, I'm good at talking to people. Can I make more money if I talk to people besides about musical instruments? And I was driving home from work thinking about how broke I was. And I saw a furniture store was hiring. And so I walked in and I go, hey, you, you know, you know, when I interviewed and they hired me, you know, as a salesperson for furniture. And it was a private, you know, owner operated business. And it was a huge pay bump for me. It was huge. And everybody was excited. My, my wife, which is my girlfriend, was excited you know, for rent. And then one day, uh, this is why it's crucial to this story. One day, 
the, some lady bought a couch, a black leather couch, and she went to pick it up and there was a mark on it. And the owner told me to take like this little Sharpie and like mark it, you know, hide it. And I was like, oh, I, I can't do that. Now keep in mind, I can't not have work. Like our rent is like, I'm like $8 away from not making rent uh, on any given month. And, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I can't do that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to mark that. I'm not going to cover that. That's, that's stupid. And uh, so you can imagine I got fired on the spot. So I didn't wow. know how to go home and tell my girlfriend like, oh, hi, I don't have rent. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, uh, so I stopped at the recruiting station and joined the army. And I came back and I go, hey, bad news. I don't have a job. Good news. I have a job. And so, oh, wow. uh, so uh, <laughs> what a day. <laughs> yeah, what a day. Uh, so the reason why that's important is that all ties into, you know, the rest is boring, but it involves me, uh, you know, getting out of the service and, and, and then in, in the job world, I, I got a corporate job. You know what I mean? That's where I ended up. So I ended up in a corporate job. I did uh, risk management for a large fortune 500 company. I was making good money and I decided cause everything was going great that I should start building bass guitars for fun. You know, cause I wanted, I wanted to always play bass. And I started building them and uh, I sold a couple few. This is important to the story. Dan might remember this more than Andy. Do you remember in the early, early 2000s? So we want to say late 90s, early 2000s, the bass market took off. Like Victor Woot and all those guys became huge. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So the so the important part of the story, Andy, is like $4,000 basses were a thing. Like there was bass stores across the U.S. that just sold basses and just high-end basses. Really? So I start, yeah. So I started making these basses. And I was selling them and I was like, you know, and you get full of yourself because you're like, oh, these are, I'm doing so good. I'm going to become a base builder. Uh, so I took one of the designs that I liked and I had it made overseas because that's what you, everybody ends up doing. And, uh, and uh, the first, what I learned was the first palette, not palette, I'm sorry, first container of instruments you get, they're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> They when come, you say container, are we talking like 20 foot oh, or 40 Yeah, foot? full container. Wow. Like, okay. so, so I want, so, so Dan has reference to this. So you can imagine I have a container full of bass guitars that are all one design, one model, my bass, and they all need work. Mm -hmm. So I would come home every day at five o'clock from my corporate job and work until two, three in the morning in my shop, fixing these bases so we could sell them. <laughs> right? No. And I got really good at doing them fast. A lot of fret work, which is why I'm probably hyper-focused on fret work, because that's usually where everybody skimp on your instrument. And uh, so I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. So what was funny was my wife would sell them during the day. So I'd go to work. I'd fix them all night, go to work during the day. My wife would sell them. We sold a lot. We had no idea what we were doing. I mean, by that, I mean, not only did I not know what I was doing, we had no idea at the time. That was a lot. We were selling a lot. We thought we were selling nothing. Like, we didn't know. We thought, well, you sell a million guitars, you're doing okay, I think. You know, right? Like, when you sell a thousand <laughs> instruments and you're like, I guess that's a start. You know, you know what I mean? It was just crazy. And, uh, and uh, long story short, this part's the weird part. I had a, uh, a horrible thing happen, a car accident happened. And oh. it's a very long, horrible story. It ends like this. I decided I was like, I'm not going to work in corporate America anymore. Nothing against my job. I love that job. Still this day, I'm friends with everybody there. Love that job. And they go, I got to do something else, <laughs> right? Uh, so I decided, hey, uh, uh, 
this is crazy. I hate talking like this because I sound like a crazy person. So I went to a music store to buy a bass one day, right? This is all, all happening at the same time, this life-changing event. Go to this music store, buy a bass. Typical story that we all have. You know, you go in there. It's like $1,600 for this bass. The guy behind the counter doesn't even give a crap. He doesn't want to help me get it down. He doesn't want to talk to me about it, right? I ring up, like, against his will. He sells it to me, right? It was a used Warwick. I'm just trying to get some questions answered, you know, to make sure I'm... So this is funny. So I go home. This is supposed to make me feel better. I was in a mode where I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy this bass and feel better. Instead, all I'm thinking about what a, you know, idiot that guy was. Next day, I go to the mall with my wife. She buys a blouse, okay? We go into the store. I walk in. There's a girl. She's folding the clothes. The other girl walks up to us. She's like, oh, what are you looking for? My wife tells her. She gets out a couple samples, takes her to the dressing room. They try them on. My wife goes to the counter. She's like, oh, we have a two-for-one coupon. Oh, do you want some, like, perfumes on sale, right? We leave the store. We're walking in the mall, and I go, how much was that? She's like, 30-something dollars. I go, you just had, like, a thousand-time better experience than I just had spending $1,600 yesterday. And I go, I'm going to open a music store. And she laughed. And then 30 days later, I opened up a music store. Wow. Because yeah, yeah, it was within a month. period of time yeah. to realize Yeah, it was that. No, no time at all. I just literally go, okay, well, I know. So, um, <laughs> so and then um, what was funny was the bases that I sold were called McKnight bases. The store was called McKnight Guitar Company um, for no other reason than uh, the, guitar, the store was supposed to be called The Guitar Company. I had this great idea, like, you know, Tiffany and Company, you know, the jewelry store. Nice. Mm -hmm. nice. So I was like, oh, the guitar company. And so I, I got the name, have the store built out, getting the signage. The week that the store is going to open, like a week before the store is open, there's a thing on 60 Minutes about how this na lady named Sam Buck is being sued because her coffee place is called Sam Bucks, even though it was, she named it that because her name's Sam Buck. And she did it before Starbucks, but Starbucks was suing her into the ground, right? And oh. then all of a sudden I go, oh, man, what if the Guitar Center doesn't like that I'm called the Guitar Company, right? And I go, oh, crap, what am I going to do? So I changed the name to McKnight Guitar Company. I was like, oh, they can't sue me for my name. So mm -hmm. I changed the McKnight Guitar Company. And then what happened, which was stupid in retrospect, we opened the store, and I was selling my bases at the same time. And it, it was I had no perception like I do now, friends that knew me would come in the store and be like, oh, so you opened a store to sell your bases? And I'm like, no, no, this is a real music store. We have Schecter and Fender. And I, I also have my bases. And they're like, and it would drive me nuts that they would say that. Like, I was like, no, these are, like, I've, I have two businesses now. One's the music store and one's the bases. So instead, I shut down the bases, which was dumb because that's where I was making all the money. That's what funded the store. That's where all the, everything was coming from. And, but I had convinced myself that, no one would come to the store because, you know, eight people knew about my bases. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. You have no, no, no concept of scale. You just know your environment. Um, it's in the head, isn't it? It's, it's so much of this is psychology and, and self, uh, reflection. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a, but, everything yeah, has I'm, a learning I'm glad curve. You, you know I'm glad I mean? you did. Cause now you're here, you know, it's, yeah, it's a happy ending. And, uh, and like I said, sure. and then and then fast sure. forward, I had the store well, for um, we got thirteen years. Oh, oh, are we losing people? Nope, still here. Okay. Um. Uh, oh, Andy's a little. No? Yep. 
okay. Everything's fine. Um, so yeah, I had the store oh, for good. almost 13 years. And then uh, what happened was, uh, you know, I, I did the repair. I was the repair guy. So I did repair. We ran the store. We had a lesson academy. My wife would run the lesson academy, which is a big, was a big separate business on itself. And, uh, and then uh, started making YouTube videos. <laughs> no, it's not true. I started making Facebook videos for my friend and then we put them on YouTube. Doesn't matter. That's just how it went. And, uh, and uh, YouTube started doing its thing. You know what I mean? And, uh, and the last thing I needed was another job. Like, you know what I mean? That was the last thing I was looking for. I was looking for like, wouldn't this be funny? Like if I make this video about this thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it'd be fun. And then I found myself like every day now back to the same world I was in before. I get up six o'clock in the morning. I make YouTube videos until 930. Then I get to the store at 10 a.m. Then I work till, till nine. Then I get home and I finish up editing the YouTube video. Right. And, and, uh, and uh, yeah, and they were on. Uh, unlike, I always use this as reference, Andertons is a perfect example. Unlike the Andertons guys that were able to take their YouTube presence and their store presence and connect them. Part of my problem was having a store that was a front door, everything was going out the front door. It's not really an internet store, right? So your YouTube doesn't really matter because talking to 6,000 people where 89% of them are not in your city, they're not buying from your store. So they're not helping you. Um, the other problem I had was being the repair guy, it didn't take long for viewers slash customers to start connecting the two. And, and one of the things it would do to me, which is, I, that's why I warn a lot of channels now about, uh, like I, they drop off a guitar for a refret and I go, okay, I'll be done in a week. And then I'd make a video on Thursday and they go, hey, is my guitar done? I saw you had time to make a video. <laughs> and I'm like, oh <laughs> yeah, it's not done. It's, it's remember I said on Thursday, I will be on done on Tuesday. You know what I mean? And then it just would work that way. Like they would figure like. <laughs> about like, I, I gotta, I gotta ask about what year was that? Was that like 2000 ish? So or? I started, okay. So I can tell you exactly. Uh, I put videos on YouTube as early. I think you can find them as 2014. Like you transfer them over. 14. From, okay. Yeah. Okay. The, the thing though, for me is I didn't do YouTube. In fact, I can tell you exactly how YouTube works in my mind for me is in 2017 in January. I decided I wasn't going to do YouTube anymore. Like I was just done with something. I didn't care what. And so I told my wife, I had every intention to go, okay, I'm going to quit doing this YouTube thing. It doesn't matter anyways. Right. I'm going to quit doing it. And, uh, and, uh, and part of my problem was Andy can uh, understand this. You were getting paid for YouTube. Right. But I didn't know how to get paid from YouTube. I didn't know. I didn't decide then like, should I get paid personally from YouTube? Should it go to the LLC? My LLC is my store and my other business. You know what I mean? How do I want to connect all this? I have a sure. partner with another business. So I have to give them part of my YouTube money. So at some point, <laughs> at some point, um, and you understand it's not a lot of money. Andy can tell you it's not a lot of money, but it was building up over a period of two years. Sure. You know what I mean? And I hadn't taken any dividends because I didn't know what to do with it. So I go, okay, uh, I think I'm going to, just pay it to myself, stop doing YouTube and call it a day. January of 2017, I told my wife, I'm going to go to the NAMM show, do the store business like I normally do, do some YouTube business. Because that was double duty too, by the way, right? Mm-hmm. Business meetings. Yeah. And and Andy can tell you, or not Andy, uh, Dan can tell you because he's in the business uh, of that side uh, of, of the NAMM show and, and booths. It was really hard for companies to, to like disconnect me from Oh, this is my store time. Let's do the order. And this is, hey, let's make a YouTube video there. And I'm, these are mutually different things. 
There was no concept of that to them. I told my wife and my partner, I said, when I come back, I'm never going to do YouTube again, or I'll never come back to the store again. And that was kind of lighthearted. Like I wasn't going to like really do that, but I went to the NAMM show and I was waiting for this epiphany, you know, right. This moment, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know what was going to happen. I thought I was going to go to the, you know, I didn't know, like, was it going to be like a crowd of people going to run up and be like, you're the guy on YouTube. I didn't know. <laughs> right. Um, what I remember about the show was I always like telling the story. I was handing out picks. I'm doing your picks. I remember some guy walked up to me and he's like, Hey, can I have a pick? I'm like, yeah, here you go, man. And he's like, Oh, I love your channel. And then, uh, or he said, you have a channel. <laughs> and, uh, and then I remember I went to the restroom to go pee and he, he went in before me and then he came out and I went in to go pee and my pick was like laying under the urinal. <laughs> like you can see oh. where he tossed it. <laughs> and I was like, looking at it going, yeah, I don't think this is real. So what's funny was, and you got to go back to 2017, which isn't that long ago, but it really tells you a yeah. story, uh, which is why I like sharing this, this part. It wasn't that I had a YouTube channel that was a thing. It wasn't anything that had to do with me. You know what it was? No one seemed at the show. No company knew YouTube existed yet. And I go, how can wow. this thing that I think is like 10 years old and I'm old and I'm on it and it's lame, right? Because it's already been done to death by everybody. How can the entire industry as a whole has still like YouTube, you say? You put videos out? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, you do that yeah. for a living? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and not even that. Think of it from their attitude, right? Or their yeah. perspective, right? Who cares sure. if I get uh, $116 to make a video? Ch- I say this proudly all the time. A channel of 5,000 subscribers can sell a million dollars worth of gear. I've seen it happen. I've experienced me personally. I've seen it with channels. I've seen companies, especially small companies, literally get put on a map because they had all of a sudden they got thrown in front of like I always remind people, it's not about Gibsons and Fenders. Look, they 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 need mass audience. They need millions to sell because mm-hmm. they sell millions. When you're talking about a company that would love to sell 500 guitars in a year, and you can a video can sell 160 of them, that's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. To get a return on investment like that, you know what I mean? And and so what was funny was walking around the show. That's what I came came out with driving home, you know, six hour drive back. I'm like, yeah, no one knows what this is. So I go, I wonder what would happen if you put effort into this, you know what I mean? Besides just making videos, like (laughs) what if you, you know, like did the company's not. And so I came back and I literally told them, I said, yeah, I'm not coming back to the store. I'm going to just do YouTube. Well, not just do YouTube. I have another, you know, thing too. I do. And, um, and I said, and they said, okay. And then there was no intent. There was no intent to close the store, but they closed about six months later because the lease was due and the anchor store had moved out of the shopping center. Mm-hmm. And they came up to me, both Ralph and my wife, Shauna said, yeah, we're kind of sick of the daily. Like is Phil here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're like, no, we can help you. Like, yeah, but is Phil coming in? And then they mm-hmm. found themselves like doing this thing where like, well, he's going to be on Thursday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And so they were like, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to do it. Um, so that's how that ended up. And then I went to GitCon. <laughs> and that, happened, yeah. like, that, that was the same sure. year. That's when all that yeah, yeah. happened right in that moment. That, that seems yeah. so few so few years ago, but it was in YouTube terms and in, in marketing terms as well for this company, it is decades ago. And, and 2018, Phil, was the year that you and I met. And that seems both yesterday and a lifetime ago. It, it So much has changed. And 
um i i, I don't know it's it's very saturated now but it's there's still so many new channels that have opened that are offering so much and so much value um yeah i, I think really, it's better really now enjoy yeah i i, I enjoy I finding it's... new channels with new new approaches to doing it it's... and and generally the guitar industry is uh i want to say getting bigger but certainly um refining itself which is how we can kind of move on to the topic of, of, of overseas guitars depend or everywhere's overseas because it depends where you are <laughs> but um uh dan and i have both had experiences recently with the guitars coming from places that shouldn't make good guitars making great guitars and uh, obviously dan's here he can talk about ivanus stuff and i can talk about ivanus stuff and phil you've you've got a multitude of brands i um was in vienna yesterday at a music shop and i played the new Revstar series from yamaha which I know, Phil, you've also played recently. I played the Element, which is made in Indonesia. I played the Standard, which is also made in Indonesia. And I played the Professional, which is made in Japan. And firstly, the Element was phenomenal. 400 and something euros, let's say 500. Phenomenal guitar, way better than many guitars I've played around that price 10 years ago or five years ago even. And then the... The interesting thing was that the difference between the standard Indonesian and the professional Japanese, from a build quality point of view, not that much different. Mm -hmm. it, it really blew me away. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, before I say anything else, I have to tell you this. Sure. The way you say Indonesia is so beautiful, right? Like I butcher the American, uh, the English language, and you speak it so beautifully. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I just want to say. It just sounds thank, so great the way you much. say it. Yeah, like the way you said it, I was like, oh, that sounds so exotic. I need something from that place. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you sell now, them. Now I feel pressured. <laughs> Indonesia. See, it's great. I, okay. I'm um, very conscious of how I'm saying words now. It is very hard to talk. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Um, you're welcome Phil have you had experiences that I know you've done your own show on this very topic which was one of the reasons we asked you on to talk about this because it ties in with what we've been feeling recently but um, in a nutshell what's what's your take on this it's it's a hot it's a hot button for me this subject right it's something I'm very passionate about on many levels mm -hmm. and it all really comes down to um First of all, the education of it drives me nuts, which is why we're talking about it. It's why I constantly, I think channels are going to be talking about this for a few years. It's going to take, it's, it's going to take a while to get everybody caught up to what's, what's really going on with manufacturing and, and the, this, the way things are built now. And first of all, one of the things that kind of started this for me, you know, we all started, uh, if I'm, if you're over 40, let's just start that. If you're over 40, there is my first real guitar. And I mean this, like, I'm no sarcastically. Like, the first time I bought my first real guitar, that was my first experience. I never experienced this, this kind of talk before. You know, I walk in the music store, and, and they're like, you know, oh, you get an American Strat. Otherwise, you can get a Japanese Ibanez. And then the younger guy would be like, the Japanese Ibanez is as good as American guitar. And then the other guy's like, oh, no, nothing makes like the American guitars. And then you're like, this is weird. Like, think about this. I love telling the story, this part of the story. I There was more talk about where the guitar was made, what country, than there was when the first time I went on, on a dealership to buy a car. 
Like there was like, right, <laughs> right. Like I, I the car salesman didn't go, oh, you buy American because of this, and if you buy a Japanese car, it's got better gas mileage. There was no talk like that for the whole for in in a purchasing conversation. Maybe personally, like I I grew up, you know, around uh, uh like my my wife's father. Obviously, I've known her since I was thirteen, so I've known him since I was thirteen too. He's a uh, superintendent for electrical company. They're union. It's union talk, right? You buy American because a union is a thing here in the United States. That's a talk, right? They wouldn't right. buy a Japanese-made car, period, because you'd never pull up to your work, your job site in a car that's not American when you're in an American union, okay? That's, right. That is a conversation that we've heard as kids. You know what I mean? You'd hear that. But that didn't connect in any other way than that's just job pride. You know what I mean? Job un union kind of logic. And so you take that with you. Right. And then and then you take this idea that they gave to me. Right. The store, these people, these guitar players that there's Japanese guitars. in America. By the way, I bought the Ibanez. I bought the RG 770 in laser blue over the Fender Strat. Right. The and DX or the regular one? The DX. And here's here's why I bought uh, here's why I bought it, because it was expensive at the time. Seven hundred fifty dollars was a big deal. It was my graduation present. And I could have had that. And trust me, in the long term, it was probably not the best decision financially because the I was either buy that or a uh, a uh, a Fender Strat with the um, what one was it? The the one with the lace sensors and the burst finish. I forgot what series they called that, but they're collectible now. But the whole reason I bought it had nothing to do with other than the Ibanez bridge looked expensive and the Fender bridge looked cheap. Okay, like that was my that was my purchasing logic at the time. Like, what was I getting for an insane amount of money? Seven hundred fifty bucks might have been ten million dollars as far as I was concerned. Right? I mean. I'm 18 and mm -hmm. this is my graduation gift, right? This is a big yeah. deal, right? Yeah. And I'm like looking at them and it was just as simple as the Ibanez looked more expensive. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I was in wood shop, sharp angles on the wood. It looked harder to do than rounding them over. You know what I mean? The inlays, the shark teeth inlays looked more elaborate than dots. Like I physically made it a consumer decision based on this guitar looks more expensive to make Ergo, this is why it's a better purchase with my dollars. Like, I didn't know the whole Fender history, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, Fenders, they didn't have me that way. Uh, th so then you fast forward to the next time it comes up, which is Korean guitars, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, then there's American, then Japanese, then Korean, right? This is like this, this stair-stepping thing that we all started getting into. Sure. sure. I believe, and I, and I was, again, it's a hot button subject, so I, I warn everybody. I believe it started intentionally as a whole as just classifications of factory quality, right? I, I agree. I 100% agree. Like, that's just as simple as that. Like, this factory, this Gibson factory makes good stuff. This Fujijin factory makes good stuff. This factory, we don't know, so we don't know it. You know what I mean? And it seems pretty good for the dollar. You know what I mean? So literally, the classifications of... And it sucks because we could have probably gone a lot farther as a guitar society if we would have stopped talking about country of origin and just factories. Mm -hmm. You know sure. what I mean? This is Cortec. This is Sam, you know, Samic. This is world manufacturing. This is near. You know what I mean? Just where stuff is physically built. Fujian, right? Uh, I forget who makes the Yuris. They're made in Japan too, but beautiful, you know, shop that builds those as well with skilled laborers. The Alvarez Yuris. Um, so then we, but this is why, and then I'll, I'll give the, the, the mic back over to you guys, but I just, this is where I'm going to start the mess. Okay. Yeah, you continue, this is my, my mess. Friend. You continue. Here's why I get upset about it. Okay. I believe it's a rigged fake game. 
And it starts there and it upsets me. And here's why it upsets me. So you see a guitar like Court manufacturers, right? We use Cortec because they're good. They make a guitar, you pick it up and you go, this is, this is flawless. So obviously this is what they can make. So why didn't they make this for brand X? And you ask them off the camera, off the record, and they say, well, that's not how they spec'd it. They spec'd it to be substandard to their line they're making. Mm -hmm. And I pick on the big three because they're fun to pick on, which is Fender, Gibson, and Paul Reed Smith. And I'm friends with a lot of those people. So it's, again, it's not to insult the people there. It's just, this is the lineage that they've created. They specifically go, okay, here's a great guitar. And now here's an affordable version of it that we, we decided wouldn't be exactly. as good. Exactly. And then the consumer goes, oh, well, you know, the problem is the Indonesian guitars can't be as good as the blah, blah, blahs. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but they set that standard. Like, it wasn't the factory couldn't meet the standard. It was they removed these things, changed this carve. You know, um, and that's where it's get. And so where it gets tricky now, and this is where YouTube has changed the game, because it's, it's just YouTube that came in and did it. It was the first time a company realized that, and I mean a small company, they could go to Andy, the guitar geek, send him a guitar, send a container of guitars to Amazon Fulfillment Center, make, have him do a video, they don't need they don't need uh, sales agents anymore to go and drive across the country and get in each little store, right? They literally can go, okay, we're gonna go straight to the consumer. Andy gets the guitar, and I'm speaking for Andy, but I, I don't mean to be. Uh, so I'll just make fun of myself too. I'll just do it. No, no, so but, far, so you're accurate. Yeah, you're accurate. Yeah. Continue. You get this guitar, and your first thought is, "Wow, this is really good. Why is it so good?" Right? When it's made in this country right whatever that means right and mm -hmm. and i've had too many stories now where i've talked to a small manufacturer and i go wow this is really good and then they'll say something like well you know we make these for this other company and i go oh you, you do and then like, yeah and <laughs> i'm hearing it more and more as a youtube channel more than probably any as youtube channels we're hearing it more and more like yeah. uh the companies that are making the guitars for the manufacturers and 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 just to put Dan in the right spot. Ibanez and PRS and the bigger guys, they've actually kind of excluded themselves for a lot of this by building their own factories there. Like, uh, you know, you have an Indonesian factory that you guys control, right? PRS has a factory in Indonesia that control Cortec, right? I say control because I, I don't care if you own the building or whatever, but it's you, they make your stuff. That's it, right? Mm -hmm. But we know the sub, sub brands, I don't want to say sub brands, but the, the less larger brands they are contracting to multiple different factories wherever they can, right? And those factories are figuring out real fast that they can start building their own guitars and then sell them direct. And what I don't like is, I don't mind if somebody says, oh, they, the Chinese guitars are not as good as American guitar. I like that statement. That's the most common we're all going to hear every day. Yeah. And I go, well, that's not true, <laughs> right? They can build a guitar exactly the same way it is they want. If you have political reasons, if you have other reasons for not wanting to buy the guitars, that's fine. You're like, I, I'm, I'm willing to hear that. And that's your opinion. And, and you can have that. But as a guitar channel and not CNN or Fox or whatever, right? I could care less what those people talk about. Um, as a guitar channel, all I care about is it stays in tune. The fretwork's done well, right? Like the quality of the guitar. And so all I want to have is that conversation, right? Where are quality guitars made? And how can I get them for the least amount of money 
as possible so I could put my kids through college, pay, make my car payment, pay my electric bill. Sure. So, so let's, let's start there. Any opinions on, on that? Yeah, I, 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 I'm going to jump in, Dan. Right, Dan's going to take a breath. Um, I was I started playing guitar in the early 90s, 93-ish, 92, 93. And back then, I had this uh, this feeling, this belief that I would go to a guitar shop, and there were plenty back then, and if they didn't sell Fender or Gibson, I thought, well, this is a terrible guitar shop. They've got other guitars. And I didn't even look at what guitars they had if they did not have Fender or Gibson. So really good marketing, really good belief system already in, in, port, in, in place. And I think this has now been transferred to country uh, of origin of guitars so that people have this uh, uh, false perception of what is right. And I'm going to pick on Epiphone for a moment because I've noticed this recently that when I played guitar originally uh, when I first started playing guitar Epiphone was a beginner's brand and was a very accessible brand and my second guitar was an LP 100 and it was a bolt-on Les Paul thin body um, and I wanted a standard but that was more than twice the about twice the price as the LP 100 and I still in my mind think Epiphone is a is an accessible brand but they're not that they're, they're coming out like an, a Les Paul standard is now like 800 euros or 700 euros and now Epiphone are bringing out sort of the, the uh, what do they call them the, the 100 with the melody maker pickups um, so they were they moved their standards and they moved their accessible range up in price and then reintroduced these other low lower priced um, models to replace what would have been that price 20 years ago. Um, yeah, and, and I agree with what you're saying about guitar companies falsely creating these divisions of price and therefore saying, well, this one, we're going to build it in China. And as you say, it doesn't matter where it's built. If they have the same materials and the same skills and the same budget, it's pretty much going to be the same guitar, I believe. Yeah, I got, I did it a, a it was on the fly. I was kind of proud of myself. I did a Reddit ask me anything. And one of the questions that stuck with me was somebody said, in this current age of CNC machines, can somebody make a better guitar than John Sir, like a Sir guitars? And so I said, well, I think if I locked John Sir in a factory in China and told him he couldn't come out to get, brought me a great guitar, he could build a great guitar. You know what I mean? So that tells me that they could build a great guitar because I'm, I can't imagine a world where he comes out and says, Phil, I went to all their tools and I looked over things and they just didn't have the equipment to make a good guitar. So I gave up like, you know what I mean? So the reality is, especially guitars, like, you know, they, they're not very complicated to make. They're just very complicated to make over and over consistently. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the uh, Grover Jackson has an amazing quote, quote uh, somewhere. And I'm going to misquote it, but I promise I'll get you within 80% of the actual quote. He said, <laughs> uh, guitar players want machine tolerances out of wood. Right, and, Love it. Love and, it. and I, I'm like, oh, per, yeah, perfect, per, but perfect by definition is what he's saying, right? They want, yeah. they want every uh, Ibanez RG550 Genesis to play and sound and be the exact same, mm -hmm. and Ibanez and other companies, and we're just saying Ibanez because why not? <laughs> uh, they go through hell and back to bring us this consistency, and get as close as they can, right? And uh, but overall like that's why when somebody goes i can build a guitar as good as them I'm like yeah you can build a guitar as good as them mm. build me five guitars as good as them 
I bet you I'll find one turd in your five. You know what I mean? Because that's just, that's just, that's the irony is the consistency, right? Um, Which is what is another benefit of building, sourcing guitars in inexpensive places because you can improve your quality assurance by having more rejects. What, what do I mean by that? Dan, Dan's looked up. So let me run it through this way, Dan. I believe that a quality guitar company is all about how many bad guitars get in the guitar player's hands. Sure. Yeah, because so, that's the only factor that you, that you have in your hands. How many bad guitars are you letting out? Right. So, yeah. in QC. Yeah. so the skill is obviously to make a good guitar, but the real skill is to stop the end user from getting a bad guitar. Correct. Right. So that's and here's why in almost every decision that's that when you deal with manufacturing starts the same way the employee look i hang out with all the employees they all have the same stories every every manufacturer's got the same dirty secrets they go i went to my boss today phil because they're just talking right i went to my boss today and i showed my boss this guitar and i said this didn't pass and he said it's good enough just get it in the case and out the door you know what i mean okay (laughs) right and and the irony of that is is that's that that's that's the magic of stopping that from happening, which is why I think Schecter becomes so, you know, the rebranding of Schecter when they started making guitars in the 2000s. I think that's why they took us all over by storm because we were picking up guitars and we're like, wow. And it was because now we know it's because they were sorting everything in Long Beach and probably in Europe too, obviously, because it was sorting, right? They were sorting everything by stopping the rejects from getting to the end users. Yeah. And and, that, and that's why I said it's it's a different world now. And that's why we got to unfortunately try to explain this to the the viewers, the guitar player and viewer public, because one thing that's really weird, you guys were mentioning, everybody mentions this, like, oh, you had a store for a decade. That that doesn't, it's irrelevant. Just touching 800 different guitars as a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Like I told you I was in the corporate world and I did risk management. I would pay somebody like the average YouTube channel I see, I would pay them if I owned a guitar company, I would, I would stop them from making YouTube videos. I would hire them to essentially as a consultant to explain what everyone's doing because uh, I'm going a little sideways on this, but Andy, cause Andy's nodding at me. So I know he's kind of experiencing the same thing about what I'm about to say, which is Dan, you work for basically Ibanez. You see Ibanez. Okay. Paul Reed Smith. He's a genius. He sees his guitars all day. That's all he sees, right? Mm-hmm. I, my joke is you look it up and down. You look at your base model to your most expensive number. <laughs> I'm looking left to right yeah. across the brands mm-hmm. to your left and to your right. Mm-hmm. And I'm comparing everything. And and every guitar player could say this. Like, I've tried a ton of guitars. I'm like, look, I'm glad you picked up guitars at Guitar Center. I'm glad you bought a lot of guitars. But when you're at the volume, this is some pro-level volume, these YouTube channels that like us pumping out hundreds and hundreds of different guitars. So, I mean, to the point where... If you really haven't, if you really want to learn something, it's when you're doing your 300th guitar review <laughs> and you're trying to analyze what makes this guitar different than the other 299, you become really skilled at figuring out what everybody's doing really right and wrong and slightly off. You know what I mean? Yep. And and that's why and you have your usual suspects as well. You the, the points where you know if that's good, then everything else has to be good. And if that's bad, then everything else is usually bad. And you start learning where everybody hides their mistakes and what they focus mm-hmm. on, right? Um, my favorite thing now is we, we talk about it uh, on inexpensive guitars. The finishes are getting so much better. And it's because, 
well, one, it's the process is getting more refined. The way they're doing the paints is getting a little bit more refined. But more importantly, it's where it's where companies start focusing like, okay, this is what the user is going to look for. This is where quality is going to be, <laughs> right? Um, you know how many times you, you, you open up a guitar and it's beautiful in every way and then you look inside of it and it's a, just a disaster. And mm. it's because that's not where the employee was told to focus, right? The employee was told, you know, more time on the buffing wheel, less time on cleaning up the solder work, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I think that's pretty fair. I, I, yeah. I must say that I've, the guitars I've opened recently, which I, I do open now in every video I've been doing for a while, the soldering work is is fine. Uh, I always like to look at the finish inside, of course, and I don't know. Generally, so this is another su another subject uh, or sub subject is that because companies know that YouTubers are going to pump out that one video that could sell hundreds of guitars, do the YouTubers get a slightly different guitar to the average user? You know, a, a cherry picked one, or oh, yeah. is it as random? And I know that's another another question for another day, but it's whole other levels now of companies being switched on to how important uh, a YouTube review can be and sure. just now bringing light to those those subjects. Now, perspectively, because this is uh, this is I know because you're obviously in Europe, this will probably help you a little bit. Uh, the YouTubers in the US, that's how it breaks down. There's YouTubers, obviously, in the US, there's YouTubers in Europe. Obviously, they're everywhere, but I'm just saying as groups. We talk about this pretty often. For some reason, Europe as a whole figured out, which Dan and I have talked about this, obviously, at the hitting event stuff. Europe understands YouTube as a, and social media. They, they somehow understood it. American guitar companies are, are lost. They're just like, I mean, totally lost. I don't mean like, I, I don't mean because a lot of them don't even work with social media in any way. <laughs> That's that's what, what I'm picking on, right? It's not the this is what I do, so I think everybody should do it with me kind of thing. It's more of a they don't even understand what you're doing, right? They they don't take the time to watch one or two of your videos. Like, you know how many companies like I take the guitars apart? You know how many guitars have flipped out on me because they're like, What the hell did you do? And I'm like, Didn't you watch any of the videos where I was gonna take your stuff <laughs> apart? Like I literally go, that's what that's what's going on. And I go and I tell them, I go, and 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 I tell them, I go, I don't take them apart because I care. I can give a crap. That's not something I focus on. I take it apart because that's the evolution of this platform is that yeah. more and more information has to be given to the consumer because here's why. Like we talked about 2017 earlier, not being so long ago, right? and being so long at the same time. Um, there is less people probably watching, in my opinion, there's less people watching your video today that have touched the guitar you're talking about than there was five years ago. What I mean by that is, if I did a video five years ago, I would say 20% of the audience had seen that guitar, touched it somehow, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Now, five years later, I think that number is decreasing and decreasing to where the people watching your videos haven't physically touched any of this stuff. They have no reference of anything now. And how do, you, how, do you, um, how do you give this experience to somebody of this is what's quality and this is what I'm saying you know what I mean? If when all you have is visual, so you got to be very visual with your review, and that means looking at stuff. And and uh, in the U.S., it's kind of weird because and the reason I tell you that is because this is the question that comes up a lot. Like you said, it comes up like, well, do they send the YouTube channel special guitars? And 
Although I have had that experience, right? In fact, I gladly, I tell everybody anything. That's probably why some, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, I had two companies. When I started doing the sock test on my guitars, taking the nylon sock and rubbing the press, the, the downfall of that real quick was two companies went so crazy with polishing their frets before they were so freaked out that they were going to, they were in their head that I thought they thought I was going to be like, you know, they were going to tear the sock open on their frets. They polished their frets so much the guitar was unplayable because the high E and the low E were falling off the edges. And I had a column and I knew something was up because I'm like, why would they do this? And they luckily admitted it right to my, you know, on the phone. They're like, look, we, we just didn't want to fail your test. And I go, okay, well, obviously I'm going to do the video now. But <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. I said, look, <laughs> I said, I'll, you know, you, you, you try to be as polite and nice as you can, right? But I said, but you understand, like, the thing I'm trying to convey is I'm not trying to convey to somebody that a guitar for $300 should be perfect. That's not what I'm trying to convey. I'm trying to set an expectation that if you buy a $300 guitar, this is the kind of fret you get. You buy a $600 guitar, this is the kind of fret you get. There might be exceptions that rule off some ones, you know, cheap guitars better, some nice guitars cheaper are less quality, but it's about setting that expectation. But what's funny about this is, although those couple cases like that, 99% of the time when companies send me guitars, dude, I get guitars, I do the video and sometimes out of courtesy, if you're a smaller company, if you're a big company, I have no sympathy. So I just put out the video, <laughs> right? If you're a smaller <laughs> company, I give it to my patrons and I give it to you too, to see it, right? And, you know, and most of the time it's nice. It's like, oh, thanks for the feedback and the video's great. But every once in a while, They'll be like, uh, Phil, um, you mentioned that it has a blemish, but we sent you a B-stock. And I'm like, we didn't say anything. I get B-stocks and damaged guitars all the time sent to me, all the time. And so that's why I said when people are like, I don't know, they probably send you the premium guitars. I'm like, I don't know. You know how many, mm -hmm. do you know how many, and that's not exaggeration, do you know how many Sweetwater boxes I have from Sweetwater sent the manufacturer back a rejected guitar, and then that's what they sent me to review was the rejected guitar they got back from Sweetwater. So I, and I have trouble because I can't unbox it because it's got Sweetwater tape all over it, mm -hmm. right? And I don't want people to think it's from Sweetwater because it's not because Sweetwater obviously rejected it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then the company's like, we've got a guitar to send you. And so we get a lot on the American side, we get a lot of rejected guitars, a lot of weird stuff. It's, it's because you have to understand like, um, the way it works here, and I don't want to get too much in this, but just different than your, you, and I'm sure this is going to feel different in a second when I tell you this. What we get here is like, they go in a meeting and they go, hey, somebody, this social media thing's happening. Who's going to run social media? And they're like, well, I can do that too. And they go, cool, get me 50 YouTube channels. And they literally send out emails to 50 channels. And then you respond and they send you the product. And, and, um, my most embarrassing thing that I have to tell, I've come to terms with it. It used to upset me to the point where I was just so irritated. I, I thought I was going to lose my mind. You know how many companies love to send me nice emails that say, hey, Phil, just following up to see if you're ever going to get a chance to do that video. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. It's got 180,000 views and it was out three months ago. Thanks for checking. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the, the good part is this. Uh, <laughs> I just tell you that because it's just because it's. I wish the U.S. side would get a little bit more caught up on the European side. Right. You know what I mean? 
it's a different, I just, it's a different I, world. I just find it interesting. Isn't there like a, a convenient medium between sending YouTubers B-stock mm -hmm. items versus sending them specifically handpicked items that do not reflect at all what the general consumer will get when they purchase the instrument? Because either way, it can be so difficult. Uh, uh, can be so. Um, Difficult or, or, or dangerous as for a brand. If you get, if you sure. receive a B stock or blemish item, and you assume this is like regular production quality without even being told it's B stock, then you right. it's, it's lower tier quality. And whereas if Andy, for instance, is doing a video for a brand that has handpicked an instrument, and then uh, like ten of his his viewers purchase that instrument and and are completely disappointed because they, uh, tr you know, they put a lot of trust in what he said, and then they receive a a subpar instrument. Uh, in terms of quality, I mean that's that's both like the extremes that I don't really think make sense uh, in terms of running your your marketing and running your social media business as a company. Well, this is what I say to companies all the time. It's like there is zero sense in uh, pushing the odds in in their favor for a YouTube review because at some point it's going to come back on that company. If mm -hmm. I if I lie in a video and say a guitar is great when it isn't or a pedal is great or anything. 10 people or 100 people are going to buy that item and they're going to say, Andy, it's, it's terrible. What are you talking about? And then they don't come back to me. And then oh, I'm yeah. useless to you the brand. You kill your views. So you kill your... Actually, here's the sad thing. It, the, this is why... And I, I'm sorry I got on this <laughs> subject, but this is the part that the companies don't understand. They think this is a views game. Mm -hmm. And it is for some people. Okay? I, I love telling people this. My channel was profitable at 30,000 subscribers. It was as profitable as I ever needed it to be. I had a huge community buying tons of merch, this, you know, right? Supporting through Patreon. You know what I mean? You get a couple companies sending you out some gear. You get a couple, you know, agreements with a couple companies, right? It's just, you know, different streams coming in. But more importantly, what really helps you is not that you can create the, because the YouTube now is you got to create a crazy t title, crazy thumbnail, try to get people to watch it. But if you can get people to actually give a crap about you in any way, you're guaranteed this, like, I don't care if it's three or 4,000 views. It's this, that views comes and it's, it's not like if you want to use their marketing math, it doesn't work. If they go, well, you get a 1% conversion rate. I'm like, no, not on your diehards. You know what I mean? The diehards that <laughs> yeah. learn to trust you, right? The yeah. trust that your opinion has weight and value that are excited about the things you're going to pick and present because that's what they're coming for is they know you're going to pick and present things that are, you know, like, why is Phil talking about Tupperware and blenders now, right? Like, like, you know what I mean? They know that, you know what I mean? They know that you're bringing to them the thing that they're interested in to some degree. And if they're, and if they're not interested in it, this is the important part. And this is the really important part. If they're not interested in it. They believe that you brought it for a reason. Mm -hmm. That even though they might go into the video a little apprehensively going, I'm not really into what he's talking about today, but, oh, okay. I see why he thinks this is worth talking about today. The problem is one bad video do you see it? It's it tanks that relationship in epically to the point where it takes forever to get it back. Um, and and that's why I said it's uh, and the good part is and Andy probably can test this too. Now at this point, I think we're all a lot of his channels are so tenured now. I can tell like out of the box. I can tell when a company's prepped it. I can tell when a company, <laughs> you know what I mean, has sent me the B stock stuff. And and all I do is I just go into it. Well, actually, I'll tell you what I do. That's kind of messed up, but it's true. Um, if a company, if I think a company fluffed a guitar for me, in other words, they, I say at the in the video, I say, and if you got a guitar and it is not as good as this one, you let the company know by putting the link of this video 
I'm like, hey, if they want that to be the standard for them, oh, let them. I like right? that. I yeah. Like oh, that. I love stinging. That's that's a sting. I'm like, oh yeah, you let them know. They got to return this and exchange it out for the one that Phil McKnight gets. Like you just tell them you want the Phil McKnight treatment on this guitar, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, because, you see regular customer yeah. Phil McKnight. Yeah, well, because because like Andy said, you like, you know, no one wants to see a special guitar sent to a YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they want a realistic expectation. Yeah, fully agree. Also, I don't I don't really see a point why why a consumer should get a different treatment than a, uh, a YouTuber or an artist. In fact, like I can I can I can tell you a story about how we handle it. Like back in the day, we used to have like a, a secret kind of code where guitars for artists would go through qc and would like get a special treatment and at some point we kind of looked into that and kind of figured why should an artist get an instrument that's superior to what the consumer is getting so we kind of got rid of that because we said the standard should be that it doesn't matter if a guitar goes to a youtuber or goes to a uh, goes to an artist or goes to a customer it should all be par and of course, right. there will be some returns. That's just the nature of the game, like you just said, because we're we're talking about uh, we're talking about wood, and we're not talking about you know guitars made of aluminum, where you can like a tenth of a millimeter or something. So you gotta you gotta you know have some some you know accept that there is some some variance in, in quality level, and there might be you know some some items that are not in in the A category. But with that said, you know um, I still have firmly believe that. It, it 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 gives a company and the product a bad name if you differentiate between the target groups because you know it doesn't matter if you're a YouTuber or if you're a, co a, a consumer, they all should get a, a a similar quality you know and not like a the, the Phil McKnight treatment for instance. Yeah, so yeah. that's. But <laughs> well, maybe maybe absolutely. maybe let me let me just uh, follow up on that pretty briefly because you brought up the factories and I'm I'm completely 100% uh, your opinion that the the quality of a of an instrument is not influenced by the country of origin at all it really comes down to machinery and it really comes down to how many hours you spend to refine what has been produced you know what comes out of cnc is not the final product you still need a lot of a lot of manual work and a lot of experience and also what is often overlooked is the external factors you know if we talk fujigen if we talk uh, let's say fender usa they have a a team of, of luthiers, of, of very skilled workers that, you know, build guitars for decades. Whereas if we talk about Asian factories, if we talk about those regions, they have, you know, Chinese New Year's where a lot of people do not return to factories. They have Ramadan where, you know, they leave the factories and they come back. It's a, it's a long break. They have to restart production, etc. So I think this is a big reason why there is at all some some sort of uh, variance when it comes to the quality level. If you if they would have uh, the same co uh, working conditions, the same hours to be spent and to hone their skills with the instruments, I would think there would be no difference at all, uh, whether it comes from the USA or from Japan or from China. Um, yeah, that's just well, that's, on that. that's the secondary thing that you would love to know, which is. Like that's that's what I said. This is the, why this is a hot button subject. As I sigh, you can always tell when you sigh before you start saying something because you can just hear the internet exploding a little bit. <laughs> let's say let's pick a guitar manufacturing as 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 the term guitar made where guitars are made, mm -hmm. and let's say we just made a list on a dry erase board what 
what matters and doesn't matter, right? What is relevant to the consumer, okay? Mm -hmm. The consumer in the modern ages is concerned about a few things. The treatment of the employees, which is not specific to any one country. Like I love it when only certain countries bring up that conversation. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it matters in every country and everything. So we should talk about it. If you want to talk about it, don't just pick one country. Let's talk about, let's talk about it, you know, with everybody because it's happened everywhere. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. every manufacturer, manufacturer being the actual factories have de dealt with this by moving around and doing stuff. Sure. So there, that's a that's a legitimate thing. And if you really care about that, which I tell people all the time, stop putting comments in YouTube videos and call your your legislation and ask for some kind of transparency on that. You know what I mean? Um, companies should be able to specifically put like like food. Tell me where it's sourced. Is it farm salmon or is it you know right or is it right? Where does it come from? Same thing with your factory, your manufactured product. Tell me. Somebody should be able to open source, tell me the employees are treated this to this degree, right? Or they're given this many, this much standard. And so, that, so as a consumer, I can feel relieved knowing like, okay, why is this so cheap? The sad mm -hmm. thing is, and this is why I said it's a sigh moment. I love it. And I'm just going to use China because it comes up the most. Absolutely. I'll review a product made in China by a Chinese manufacturer that's reached out to me specifically, sends me a product and I review it. It's as good as anything else. And it's dirt cheap because they're selling it direct. And everybody goes, well, it's it's dirt cheap because of the way the people are treated. And I go, well, it's perceptually dirt cheap to you because they removed out so many layers of markup. They mm -hmm. took out a sub manufacturer, which is the wholesaler, to the retailer, right? And you're perceiving it as why is it three instead of nine? Oh, it's because people are treated so bad. Literally, that factory, which I'm not through some kind of NDA I'm on. I can't tell you that, oh, by the way, they're making your other guitar for your other manufacturers it also have to be $700. But they figured out, like my favorite my favorite thing I pointed out to a friend a couple of weeks ago was I did a video for a, a Chinese manufacturer, really nice guy, sent, sent me a guitar. I did a video. Uh, we were doing the math. I forgot what we figured out. We figured out with the yen to dollar rate, right? He sold like a hundred and like $19,000 US worth of guitars off that video, which was like 1.3 million yen. And then the average worker in China makes 90,000 yen a year. So imagine how much money that guy made off that, right? But what I couldn't tell, and I still can't tell in this video is, he's making guitars during the day for another manufacturer. And he just started his brand at night on his second shift, right? Oh, wow. So what he, what he figured out was I could get 20% making it for somebody else or... <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, I can send a container to Amazon and get a YouTuber to talk about it, sell direct to consumer, cut the margins, not in half, because it was like 70% off what the guitar would cost by the time it floats with a branding. Because you got to get value to the brand too. It's not just markup for no reason. Brands have value for resale value for all kinds of purposes. Sure. The reason I complain about that is, sure, the only thing that makes me laugh is, is that I find the only reason I you see people complaining is because it's got a Chinese brand on it. That gets them paying attention. And then they go, well, I won't buy from China. And I'm like, great. Well, Epiphone's made in China. There's tons of guitars made in China or their brand names, but you don't complain about them on those videos. In fact, I can't find any comments on them about those made in China products. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? In any kind of videos. And I've actually uh, said this on a podcast, which went over oh so well, which is, you know, you buy a Gibson guitar, it's made in the USA, but, you know, Gibson's factory is not growing. Epiphone factory is growing. So they're just taking your U.S. dollar, U.S. guitar stuff. By the way, 
sending it overseas and building a bigger Chinese factory. And if you take apart your Gibson guitar, oh, do you have some fun? Because as Andy kind of touched on earlier, <laughs> with the whole how much is something made where it is, right? Yeah. Uh, well, COVID really taught us a lot. I mean, I had guitar companies like, oh, we can't ship guitars. We're waiting for paint. I'm like, oh, from China. And I'm like, oh, but it's not a Chinese built guitar, but it's got Chinese paint. Oh, okay. And the components came from China and this came from China. And in fact, I was telling my wife as an illustration, I was using a Gibson. Do I have one? I don't have one behind me. I apologize. Gibson SG. And I was saying, okay, the mahogany comes from Indonesia. The rosewood's coming from India, right? I go, okay, that's fine. That's source materials, right? The tuners were from China. The PC board and electronics were all from China. The bridges were coming from Korea, right? The paint, I have no idea where the nitrocellulose lacquer was coming from, but it wasn't coming from the US, right? Mm -hmm. The case came from China, right? <laughs> and, and then I'm like, and, and so again, I was breaking it down not to so much just, I'm not trying to substantiate any kind of logic, right? I'm not trying to say this is why you should buy from a source. Mm -hmm. It's more like, just don't say something as blatant as I don't buy from literally why you're buying from them just because it wasn't branded to you that way, because it's not about branding it to you. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. A great question I got on last Friday show was somebody asked me, why did Paul Reed Smith move all their amps overseas? And I actually knew the answer, which was at that point they were Cortec was building all their parts for their amps and they were assembling them in the U S yeah, yeah. you know, and, and they were building the wood boxes here in the US and then putting all the loading, all the boards and parts. And I basically, Cortec was kind of like, you know, as, as, as you know, cause you're in this business, the Cortec probably came at him and said, you know, we'll just build the whole thing for you. And this is the price. <laughs> and the only thing they lost was now it says made in Indonesia, but it used to say assembled in USA. Cause it never said mm -hmm. made in USA. All the yeah, Paul sure. said assembled in USA. And Paul Reed Smith, what they have to decide, and this is the point that's important, is they had to decide how much is assembled in USA worth. Mm. And the sad thing is, and that's my point, is the value of a product shouldn't be just the printed manufacturer of origin has a value. It should be the value should be who was paid, how were they treated, you know what I mean? What the end user pays, right? All these things. And that's why these discussions, unfortunately, have to have, have to be had because the blatant ideology is just, if this country makes it, it's bad. If this country makes it, it's good. If this country makes it, it's cheap. If this country makes it, it's, it's you know, it's, it's good. And the companies aren't stupid, right? What's the, what's my, this is my favorite joke. I hope it makes you laugh. I was in a grocery store once. This is a true story. I was in a grocery store once and, uh, on the aisle, this is true. Coca, there was a case stacks of Coca-Cola and it said gluten-free when the gluten-free thing was a craze. Yeah. And I just laughed. I go to people who are trying to watch not eating gluten care about their soda pop. Like, uh, like it was funny to me. What reason I think I make fun of it is obviously <laughs> some of Coca-Cola realized, you know, we don't put gluten in our soda. We right. should put that out there. Right. Cause people will pay premium if they know that. My point is the same thing with our, our industry. They're going to fight to keep assembled in the USA if they think they can get an extra $300 for it. Mm -hmm. And if that's the only reason you're paying that extra $300, isn't that a shame? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially considering that, you know, shipping all that stuff from A to B also has that environmental footprint. You know, it comes mm -hmm. with a lot of a lot of shipping back and forth, whereas 
if you would source and produce where actually the raw materials are coming from, I think that's the most efficient and most uh, sensible way to, to produce that stuff. You know, source it, try to build it where it can be made the like you know under good conditions because then you have also more margin if you are saving shipping costs and that and then uh, ship it out but you know it's a i think it's a, a psychological thing at the moment that people kind of like to you know have those country of origin uh, labels on on certain products so they can justify certain amounts of money yeah and of uh, instead of you know kind of if, if they would try product just an example if they would try product with their eyes closed or blindfolded I'm pretty sure that like 80 or 90% would definitely not be able to to differentiate between a, let's say, US-made, Mexican-made, or Japanese and uh, Indonesian-made instrument. If we, they received if, if they received the same, uh, let's say, fretage treatment, uh, same strings, uh, same fret job, et cetera, nobody, like literally nobody would be able to differentiate. It really comes down to marketing. It really comes down to attention to detail. And also, like I said, to the... Uh, to the vari to the variance, the variation, like how much, and this will be interesting in the case of PRS. Will they, if they stop assemb assembling amps in the U.S., will their rejection rate at consumer side be higher with those uh, overseas-made amps, or if uh, do, do they hire a couple people in the factory that you know are are being told every other day what is the criteria, so they kind of take all the faulty or or B B stock products out of the production queue. And kind of only ship what's perceived as as a stock. I think this is like the main question if they can, if they can kind of nail that, right? Well, that's why that's why, like I said, it's going to be, especially on a social media front, it's going to be an education process to discuss the things we see. I had this thing happen in Germany. It was funny. Um, I think of this all the time. I actually used this recently with consulting for a company in, in Mexico and helped them understand things. I was in Germany. Uh, obviously, at, I think it was after Gearhead University. I stayed a week or two afterwards and I did some work with some other companies that were in Germany. And one of the things that happened is I worked with a, it was a distribu distribution company and we were having lunch. It was me and uh, some other YouTubers, right? We were there having lunch and they came in and they said, Hey, so sorry to bother you guys. We have a question for you. And, they, I, and we, uh, and they go, they handed us two packages. One was springs, you know, like tremolo claws, tremolo claws. And one was bridge saddles and they were in, they were in blister packs, you know, packaging. And they said, can you tell us if these are any good? And so I looked at them and I said, I, I literally was so nonchalant and casual. I just want to actually illustrate because it's hilarious. I go, uh, I don't have anything to do it. <laughs> I use my phone. I literally handed it to me. I looked at it here like this. I looked at the package for like a second and I go, oh yeah, this is great. And I threw it on the table and I went back, you know, to lunch, right? And then the other channel that picked it up, they go, oh yeah, these are good. And then the other channel confirmed, yeah, these are good. And the two guys go, how, how do you know they're good? And I go, oh, they're made in Japan. Because it said made Japan on the packaging. And they go, well, these are our number one sellers, but they're not made in Japan. They're made in China. <laughs> but we can't figure out why everybody likes them. This is true. They go, but they put made in Japan on the packaging and we could they couldn't figure out why. And I go, and then I said, well, Look, in America, it's like American's good, America's good, Japan's good, German's good. Those are quality things, right? And they go, and they were looking at us like, like just in shock, right? And everybody's nodding, like all three of us, right? We're just all nodding, like, yeah, yeah, German cars are expensive, Japanese cars are good, 
<laughs> right? Like that's just the, so I don't need to open it and check it because as soon as I see a part coming from Japan, I know it's good. And so obviously what we didn't know what was behind the scenes was the distribution company was trying to figure out because it's selling so well, why, what's going on? Because obviously the package is being mislabeled, right? And they're concerned about it, but they don't, but bigger than being concerned about it, they didn't understand it, right? They, for some reason, sure. didn't understand this logic. And, and uh, what's funny about that is, is that's a, that's real, right? And, and the, what I, the reason I tell that story now is because some company figured that out. You know what I mean? It's not the distribution company figured it out. Somebody in China figured out putting Main Japan on it means cool and how would you figure that out because it's not like it's marked on the actual units it's tremolo claws and bridge saddles right mm -hmm. and and that's why we talk about this stuff because it's it's so blatantly like you don't want to just be that simple like this is good this is mm -hmm. bad just because of where it comes mm -hmm. from it should be physical it should be this is quality because it's made quality and the employees are treated right you know what i mean these are the things that should come into play um you know more so than anything else I guess. Agreed. And to kind of take it back to full circle to what you were talking about at the beginning is that I think possibly a solution to this this change of thinking is it comes into quality control and certainly the not so much the marketing but the honesty of people uh, an experience of people picking up let's say a guitar because it's not just guitars that, that this is relevant to but picking up a guitar and saying this is a good guitar. It doesn't matter what names on the headstock or where it's come from or who built it or what it's in. The guitar players should take a little bit of responsibility to not listen to YouTube videos so much and not listen to marketing so much and make their own decisions on whether what they have in their hands is good. And then they can say, oh, this is made in China or Vietnam or America or wherever. And then they can re-educate themselves. And I think that's so important to enable this this change of thinking right it, it yes. has to happen focus you just focus on the quality aspect of it Absolutely. Um, by far and it's it's and it's going to slowly correct itself you i'm sure everybody's the, the legislation's getting tougher and tougher you know Cal, yeah. i mean think of this fender can't even put made in usa on their guitars anymore yeah. uh they haven't done that for years they all just say corona california because yeah. Because the laws got so tricky in California about how you label and what percentage of the guitar ha our product has to be before it can be labeled that way, um, and I mean that's just going to evolve that way. But I, I don't know. Like I said, it's just interesting. Um, as and Andy, uh, I don't know about you, but when I make videos, I think it's interesting how the comments come in and what they come right. Even though I've done the same type of product so many times with same it's just weird like all of a sudden they're like oh you could tell this was crappy and i'm like how how, how can you tell this was crappy how was how yeah. it less crappy than the other thing or vice versa <laughs> do you mean in reference to the country of origin where people just make yes. a decision without even watching they just read the the name of the product and then they they make it a, a, they don't even make a decision they just regurgitate this parrot talk that they heard down the local pub or, or the online gear forum that is the local pub what? and say this is the truth. This is the truth that is universally accepted that this Chinese guitar, for example, is crap because it's made in China. And this YouTuber, therefore, must be lying to me because he's t saying great things about a guitar that I know is crap because it's made in a country that is not the US or not Japan or not Germany, for example. Yes. What's funny I, I about... I hope people 
Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no, go, go ahead. Finish your I just I just hope people take more responsibility for their own decisions because as a as a much newer YouTuber than yourself and a much younger channel, um it, it's I I know I'm sure you don't escape this, but the comments that that hurt me the most are the ones that say you are lying because of X, Y, or Z. And when that X, Y, or Z is if you're lying because you get paid, that's fine. That's a given. But you're lying because I know this is crap. They haven't held that guitar in their hands. And and they have to take responsibility because they have to understand that I am playing a an example, one of, I don't know, 500 or 5000 guitars that have been built. It's not going to be the same as the one you have. Therefore, I'm giving you a universal, hopefully, fairly specific review, but you have to take some responsibility in your own hands. But if there's three in a shop, pick the one that you like the best. Right. Getting well, off my soapbox now. No, no. <laughs> Ultimately, I I uh, I internalize too much of this stuff. And so the problem is, is I, you know, when you, I'm not, I, I always use a good example because I love using Pete Thorne as my example. Okay. Pete Thorne is a demo channel. Like Pete very rarely gives you an opinion. In fact, he will give you a little bit of one, but he's told me personally, like he doesn't give opinions. He just performs, right? Mm -hmm. And he's amazing. You watch him play, he puts it in a song and the amount of work that goes into each video is insane. Like creating an entire song, just to demo a pedal. It, like people have no concept of it's two full days to two and a half days of work to, to do something is just crazy, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately what's funny is, is the reason I used him as a, as a, like a base point of this is, is that you know, he can show you how good the product can sound, how an artist can use it, how effective you know, all that stuff is. That's the demonstration purposes. And so, like I said, I internalize this stuff because what's funny is I, I try to like a lot of channels like you, we, we were kind of like, okay, here's the information. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not telling you what to buy. In fact, I'm just giving you information. You do with it however you want. The intent is, the intent is to put an accurate assessment out so that you come back for more accurate assessments. Exactly. That's the only win in this, right? Um, I trust. use this, Andy, feel free. Well, no, you live in Europe, so you don't have to worry about this. Um, but I said, I use this all the time uh, when I love when people are like, um, oh, yeah, you just work for the companies. I'm like, I don't know. They don't pay my health care, my 401k, none of that stuff. And that to me is paid. Like, I could care less. You know what I mean? Uh, in the end of the day, all I care about is the length of my livelihood, not the, you know, what day is going to, you know, oh, wow, I got a paddle I'm set for yeah. life now. I think I'll take yeah. this and go. Um, so to me, ultimately, I care about what the viewers, how the viewers perceive this stuff and what they do with it, because that's, that's essentially the boss, so to speak. And Absolutely. when I come at things, I want them to understand like, okay, this guitar is great. It's expensive and it's great. And it's fun. This guitar is also great, right? Um, because the best thing about today, today being literally today, is that I don't care what number. That's why the question, the worst question on a live show is like, hey, if you had this much money, what would you buy? I'm like, you buy whatever you want. That's what's great now. There is no like, oh man, I don't get that. The only thing money doesn't buy you now is brands. Mm -hmm. Like uh -huh. the, the music industry is no different now than the clothing industry. <laughs> you want a nice t-shirt and jeans? Well, whatever you got, you got enough, <laughs> right? If you want a branded t-shirt and jeans, well then you're gonna have to pay for it, right? Um, 
And and, the, and a beautiful example is look like look, look at all three of us. We picked an Ibanez today. Uh, Dan and I more so are Ibanez fiends. I don't know if you're an Ibanez fiend. I'm an Ibanez fiend. Uh, I mean, I just have this like I love them. And it's a branding thing. I mean, because here's the deal: whatever was exclusive in the uh, recipe of Ibanez, it's been copied and duplicated so much that you can find it at any price point. And to be honest with you, Ibanez is even giving you at every price point now. You know, you know what I mean? There's, there's, mm-hmm. um, so like I said, you just try to give that information. And, but also what I want is I don't want the viewers or the guitar community, actually more importantly, I don't want them to, to focus on the wrong things because then the companies focus on the wrong things. See how it all goes south on you. I and want it, them to it focus fades on into itself. Doesn't it? Yeah. Here's a perfect example. Okay. Of something I couldn't say in a video. I wanted to, it was driving me nuts. Okay, I did the Urquitar video a couple weeks ago. Okay, now the Urquitar was actually a perfect storm of everything you would want in life. They reached out to me. Viewers already been talking about those guitars. They reached out to me and said, "Hey, can we send you a guitar?" They did. They sent it through Amazon because that's how they fulfill themselves is through Amazon. So nobody touched that guitar. Nobody. It came from Amazon. Nobody at Amazon checked it to make sure it's playing right, right? Like, there's no, they have no control of what gets sent to me, okay? Uh, Ert being, okay? Which is, every once in a while that happens, you're like, that's awesome, right? Because you know there's start. no, yeah, it's a great start. So, and, and of course, uh, Amazon, I didn't show up, but it's hilarious. Amazon put it like in a dishwasher box, like it was huge. And they, right, like I got it. My wife's like, what is this? Like, I don't know. And it was one little wedge guitar box in this giant box. It was the most blatant <laughs> misuse of, box shape size but here's 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 what i couldn't say in the video so i open it up and the way they do frets is the same way that framus does frets and yamaha's doing a couple frets which is they're rounding them over with a dremel and uh, if you guys don't know you have to cut the frets you cut the frets for all the width of the fretboard you round them over the dremel and then you you cut the blade short shallow and inset them right okay adds about 10 minutes to the time to, to do a fret job okay this is what I didn't say. I said that part. I even showed how you do it. But this is the part you couldn't say because the audience has no reference. You have to keep continually educating the audience till they're up to the point where they'll understand what I'm about to say, which is what I'm going to say here because you can in this environment where we're discussing things. Adds 10 minutes. The fretwork on that guitar took about 40 minutes to do. Okay? That's a fact. I know. I've been to enough factories, that guitar, and I've done enough fret jobs uh, just yesterday. This morning, actually, I'm still in fret dust right now. Um, it took, takes about 40 minutes to do the frets on that Erd guitar. I didn't say that in the video. I said everything else but that because I know if I say it took 40 minutes, everybody go, oh, who cares? I'm like, well, how about this? It takes 30 minutes to do a fret job on a $4,000 custom shop guitar made in the USA. So they took 10 minutes more than a $4,000 guitar took. Right, right. But then to say that, right. I would have to say everything I just said to you guys. I have to give you a reference of how long it takes to do it. Now, mm. right. But more importantly, here's the math that's really scary. The guitar was 369, right? So if you're if you got a person rounding over frets and doing fret work for 40 minutes in a 10 hour, if they do a 10 hour work shift and they don't mess up. And you don't give them that much time and breaks because, you know, that's what they like to bring up in these countries, right? That's 12 guitars a day. Mm-hmm. So you know how many people you have to do, have, right? Like Dan's like, no, it's because he's, you know, because Ivan is, and you probably know Andy too. Like, you know how many people you have to now have in rows doing that kind of fret, type of quality fret work to get enough guitars out the door to make a 369 price point, make any kind of money at all? Yep. And this is, to me, 
why the these podcasts and stuff are so important and discussionary stuff is so important because if you start going down this if i took 10 minutes to explain all that in a 10 minute video (laughs) you'd lose half the people but in a format like this we could talk about this particular subject which is what really matters is how much hand time is put on a guitar what is the what is the machinery they're using and how are they using it what is their what is their and this is my favorite question to ask. I've been to 33 manufacturers and the f- favorite thing I like to ask, which always either brings a fast, great answer or a l- slow, horrible answer, which is what are your safeguards to, ins- safeguards to ensure a bad guitar does not get put in a user's hands? Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Paul Reed Smith did give the greatest answer known to man, but they changed it. <laughs> <laughs> which was, what they, was what, and two, years ago they had a uh, their quality assurance department did not connect to manufacturing so so imagine this you have somebody who runs your manufacturing facility right their job is like i'm gonna say dan pick on you dan dan get me 500 guitars built today okay mm-hmm. that's dan's job dan goes home he hugs his kids spends time with his wife that whole night is depicted on whether or not he got 500 guitars out the door if he didn't, it's it's a horrible night. He can't sleep because his job sucks and he's not doing his job correctly, right? So who messes that up? Well, obviously employees don't show up to work. That's bad. Employees aren't are making mistakes. That's bad. But what can really gunk up the day is QC can not let things pass through, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies, a lot of manufacturers will use the term casing. They case guitars at the end. So they cased this many guitars, right? right? Um, and so they go, okay, we only cased 150 guitars. And Dan's like, why? And then I go, now imagine if your quality assurance department is, they, they report to Dan, who's the manufacturing person. And they say, well, Phil in quality assurance, it wants to send back 25 guitars. Now what's to stop Dan? This is why I asked them. What's to stop Dan from going to Phil and going, well, Phil, you just passed 25 guitars. Get them in those cases. (laughs) Right. So done. Right. It's so done. (laughs) (laughs) And and uh, so what's funny is is there is uh, that's why I said what safeguards you have. How do you make sure that if there's a bad day and something happens, and those guitars can't get shipped and it's costly and it it hurts the company financially, it hurts everything, right? But it is the right thing to do. How do you ensure that? What are your insurances that your employees aren't just passing the stuff through, right? And um, you know who gave the worst answer? I just like throw them under the bus. The worst answer yeah. ever was PV Guitars. Um, <laughs> PV Guitars was telling me uh, one of the questions I asked because it, you don't even have to be a manufacturer. You just distribution, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. Dan Meinl's distribution, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Meinl checks. I don't know what safeguards they have. Okay, so he's not. Yes, they do. So a lot of times when you have a guitar made overseas or somewhere else, right? And it's brought into your warehouse, you check them. PV's answer was hilarious. I said, well, how do you check them? They said, well, we check one in 100. And I go, okay. And if we get so many bad ones, then we go back and check one in 10. And if we get so many bad ones, then we check one in five, right? And then, we, and then, and then at that point, we check them all if they're that bad. And I'm like, oh. So basically, if you get 500 guitars and you check five and they're good, you just ship them all out. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> right? What are the odds of that being enough? Now, yeah, I can't hold like, them. That's a gamble. That's, that's a gamble. That's a gamble. And but that's and, also what what all what differentiates you know direct shipment and and kind of you know missing out certain steps because those kind of quality steps are like a 
a barrier that kind of keeps those B stock or C stock items away from from consumers. You know, that's what you know. Going full circle to what we were joking about at the very beginning, if people kind of only you know put the price tag at the sum of the parts, they are missing out that the actual part that makes a difference is those kind of the quality control and the the the, the manual work that goes into that to kind of really you know pick what is good quality and and kind of pick also what's be, what's to be rejected you know and that's also what what mm -hmm. kind of justifies a higher price tag and what also justifies distribution i mean on the other hand what would what would a brand uh what on earth would would uh, hold uh, the japanese at hoshino back from from just shipping all their stuff from let's say from from japan or from uh from indonesia direct or what would hold back a company like uh, music man to ship their stuff from the us or from indonesia there's just like because they are sold to the idea that they want to not ruin their brand image by shipping out uh, instruments that are uh, sub-quality, you know, that, that do not meet the expectation of the consumer. And this is where I see also the value of the distributor that, um, you know, uh, logistics, nobody can beat Amazon when it comes to logistics. True. But everyone, like literally everyone can beat Amazon when it comes to doing a proper fed job making sure that everything is nicely packed and quality checked then ship it to dealer and then at the dealer place make sure you know that you, you get your special set of strings and you get your special setup and everything and this is what kind of differentiates the boys from the men when it comes to to instruments that's also why gibson kind of bombed with, with uh, their attempt to sell high-end uh, gibson guitars on amazon in europe i don't yeah. know well, Fender is... bombed here with amazon with okay. anything over, over 500 dollars, it failed yeah it's it, it doesn't work and and that was something to be expected you know a lot of people they were like they were seeing the end of the of the of the guitar business when they started you know trying to sell uh three thousand euro or two thousand euro uh, dollar gibsons on on amazon but at the end of the day it kind of showed that you can't you can't push everything in the digital realm there have there have to be like instances that correct mistakes that are just natural because of the of the ingredients which is like raw materials like wood or because of the human factor and this is where i see also distributions like like us here what what their value is it's not shipping stuff it's like making sure that the stuff arrives making sure you have enough stock that you can deliver and making sure that every single instrument reaches the consumer uh, at a quality level that makes them smile you know and this is like the, the also the mission. I'm, I'm kind of you know standing on my so soapbox a little bit here, but this is what, what what we are subscribed to. What what you know is, and also what differentiates maybe a a brand. You know to to carefully use that term. What maybe differentiates a brand from a OEM manufacturer that's just interested in shipping out stuff without following up, and without making sure that certain quality levels are met. Well, a perfect example of that is how you've executed over the years. You know, that's how I met you, right? It was through these events. You you guys were sponsoring events. You guys brought Ibanezes to the events. And and that is another additional part of your, of the, the distribution's job is to make sure the product is obviously taken care of, but also seen in front of the right people, right? Uh, and, and get feedback. Think about this. I, I've learned this, all this interaction I've had with you over the years and obviously now andy's like with you every week uh, giving you feedback um we are it's a I, I i hate the term influencer i've always hated the term influencer makes um, me buff 
Yeah, it makes me barf. Uh, unfortunately, I, I would love it if I was on YouTube and I did skit comedy and maybe you could call me then something or an entertainer. Essentially, all I am is I'm everyone who watches my channel. I'm just the guy that started making videos. Uh, you know, right? That there's just a bunch of people making videos, just a bunch of people. And so what I reason I say that is I it's not it doesn't work the way the companies think. I don't say a thing and then my audience does a thing like an influencer does. Exactly. It's the opposite. Exactly. It's I'm part of my audience. So I generally think like my audience and vice versa. Right. So it's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? If this week uh, I decide to sell five of my guitars, I would imagine the company you should be scared because I bet you everybody's selling five guitars because whatever I'm doing, they're doing and vice versa because it's less of a, I want people to listen to what I say and more of, I want to talk to people about the thing I love talking about and I have to create a forum for it, right? So that there's a place to congregate, whether it be videos or live or whatever, just like Andy. And I always try to tell the, the, the companies it's stop. You don't, that's why I said like U.S. companies are a little different than European companies. A la there's why Dr. Dan's here because Dan gets it. He's, he's come to the events and he's been part of the community, right? And he doesn't look at like Andy, like, okay, if Andy tells everybody the new flip-flop color on Ivan is as good, then we'll sell a lot of them. I'm like, that's not how it works at all. How it works is if Andy says it is good, that's a great representation of the fact that a lot of people watching it are going to think it's good too, because he's of the same mindset. He speaks the language of his people, so to speak, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds I like, cheesy. I right? like that. Yeah, that makes me sound amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and that's <laughs> why and that's why this stuff's important. And and that's what Minel offers is not just checking the Ivan's guitars as part of Ivan's right thing. It's making sure that Ivan's is doing the right things, getting feedback back to Ivan's that's helpful, right? Collectively, think of this. Uh, I told you guys, I have a whole different life before I came in the music industry, which is risk management, right? <laughs> I mean, I used to be like, I, I chuckle sometimes. I, I go, I used to be in charge of billions of dollars, no exaggeration, uh, and, uh, and reporting and stuff. And data is huge, right? And then I would laugh when I, like I told you, 2017, I'm at the NAM show and I'm sitting there going, dude, if 5,000 guitar players congregate <laughs> in a video and 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, and echo the sentiment of that video, right? Not listen to it and then be brainwashed by it. That's not what we're talking about. If they echo that sentiment, you know how hard it is to collect that data? You know how hard it is to collect what the pulse of someone's, of what the industry is doing? You know what I mean? Will headless guitars take off? Should we invest in headless guitars? Well, you can th shoot from the hip and guess, sure. But you could also talk to these people that are in these communities and see, um, you know, what's going on. Like I made a joke about headless guitars that I love saying, uh, it's my favorite joke ever. You know why, uh, I, you know why headless guitars are like stairs? Why? Cause the older you get, the more they suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so like back to, which is back to debt. Now, where, where did that joke come from? It came from this. Every time I've done a video of a headless guitar, when I look at my analytics, the average age is about 10 years younger than my average other video's age. 
which means only the younger people as a whole. Like I always get somebody going, I'm 63. And I'm like headless guitars feels wrong. You're the exception. You're not the rule. I still love you. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that when I, if I do a video with a headless guitar, it brings in a younger group of players. And if I bring a, you know, and a Fender headstock brings in a slightly older group of players than the average, right? It's, it moves. And as a company, I would be like, okay, so what you're saying is, is we need less headless guitars, <laughs> you know what I mean? For this group and the, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah. that's what, and that's what you got, you do in these communities. That's why I said, when I talk to companies here, they don't have the benefit of what you guys have there. Sure. They still operate off the, well, if we get 50 people on YouTube to say it's good, it's good. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, that's not how it works at all. It's a, a fight I have several times weekly. Yeah. It's horrible. I, I think we're already like almost an hour over our usual <laughs> show duration. So <laughs> maybe to, to, to kind of uh, wrap it up on a, on a higher note uh, or a brighter note, what do you guys think, like, if you compare your first guitar with what is what has been offered to beginners today from the, the youtuber perspective how do you see that the development isn't that like at least what i see isn't that kind of uplifting to see that uh, when it comes to bang for the buck and also reducing the barriers of of uh, connecting with your instruments is is um has so much improved and the quality that you get at a even at a lower price tag is already so um so good that that people can basically really focus on on the instruments on and are not being put off by uh, you know bad frets or you know mm. tremolo systems that will not stay in tune how do you see those that kind of development also from a manufacturer point of view i'm not sure what your question was but i yeah. can tell you that my first guitar <laughs> was, a, was a honer lx90 and it's hanging on the wall in the other room all right. And compare okay. that to that cost 199 pounds with a Squire 10 amp and a okay. strap and you know case and and cable and a couple of picks. Um, if in today's money, I, I looked at that's about 350 pounds these days, so about 400 euros, uh, about 420 dollars. Yeah. Um, what you get for that money these days is considerably easier to play and more enjoyable and will inspire more musicians to keep at the guitar than what I had back then. So I'm not saying mm -hmm. it's better. I'm just saying all those boxes that needs to tick to make sure that um, baby guitar player turns into a fully fledged, uh, you know, person that wants to play guitar for the rest of their life and is a guitarist. Mm -hmm. Now, um, it's more opportunity for that to happen. Yes, well, we know. So to answer, I think Dan's question, <laughs> this everything is great now which is why there's so many so much need for opinion uh -huh. you don't need someone's opinion when your options are crap and good <laughs> right yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The, the the irony the, the irony is as it's became the fact that it's getting harder think about this it's getting harder to make a bad purchase i mean don't, don't get me wrong they're out there right but i mean you could take, I don't know, any dollar amount for a pedal, an amp, or a guitar and go make a purchase online or in a store. And physically, it's getting harder and harder to walk out with a bad purchase, new or used, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, like my favorite thing to laugh about is like, I'm a bass player, right? So this is the thing I love laughing about now. The 
you can walk into almost any music store now and see at a top of the line Ampeg SVT that's 10 years old or 15 years old for a quarter of what it was 10 years ago because no one wants to lug heavy amps around anymore. But this is literally something that, that's on albums and toured the, 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 the world. You can pick it up dirt cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody goes, oh, it's really hard to find a good bass amp. No, it's not. You, in fact, you trip over them sometimes in stores as they're just laying around. And same with guitars. But that's why there's so many channels now. And that's why I said it's good that there's more channels because it's not about the opinion. It's about getting things on your radar because it is option paralysis. You're just literally like, okay, you know, what's a good guitar for 300 bucks? That's what I said. The worst question. I don't think, I, maybe I'm unique in this way on my channel, but the worst question is like, what's the best guitar for 300 bucks? And you're like, I don't know. Almost all the $300 guitars are great. What's no. the best guitar for hundred bucks? I don't know. I found like a crap ton. In fact, you ever go into music stores now and just laugh at how many like cheap, good guitars they have laying around that they can't even sell because they just have so many cheap, good guitars. They just, mm-hmm. it's like they're, it's like, it's a hindrance. <laughs> we just have too many cheap, good guitars. We, we're choking on them. And you're like laughing because it's, you know, so I think, so that's my answer to your question is everything's better now than my JB or player from. <laughs> I would, I would so like, I would so love to to travel back in time and see you do a the sock test like 15 years ago. <laughs> oh well, I remember I live in the desert, so spread sprout is yeah. is a big deal. But the 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 sock test, all that stuff that I do, is uh, is because I told you guys I've been to like I said over 30 factories around the world, and when you go to them, one of my favorite things is when they take you in the dry room. Right. And they always say this, like, just, you know, it's like 107 degrees, like 17% humidity. I'm like, great. So it's like five degrees cooler than where I live and uh, <laughs> 10% more humid. So, or, <laughs> so, um, so I laugh because I, this is hundred percent true to the point where I almost want, like, this is my cause in life. That's why I'm so focused on fret work. Uh, Cause I get it sometimes it's pushback. So people are like, why are you so, like you talk about frets so much on your videos, it's annoying. Here's why. 10 years ago, not 20, because 10, 10 years ago, we always, where I live in the desert, we always did fret work. I don't care. Like if you, I bought, you know, if you bought a guitar from Washburn in Chicago, right, in Illinois, USA made, it would come here and in a week, somebody would walk in your store going, I need fret work done because they next just shrink, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a, you know, Arizona, it's a dry heat. That's our slogan, right? It's so hot and dry here. And so we always did fret work. It was just a thing. But within the last 10 years, it's happening everywhere all the time. Like everyone, like people in Brazil are like, yeah, I got fret sprout. It's like 89% humidity all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, how's that possible, right? Um, and here's, here's where I think this goes. So, you know, um, as, as a guitar in a tech, fret work gets more expensive each year because the, the reality of it is, is that there's things that are easy to do on a guitar. So techs generally don't charge a lot to do it because it's easy, right? Sold in the concept of difficulty, right? But guitar techs are slowly changing. And I mean this around the world, uh, to charging for time, something techs never did because it would never make right. sense, right? Like, think about this. It takes twice as long to do the frets on a Squire as it does an American Strat. It just does. So obviously, you need more work, right? 
But if you notice, like guitar players are so conditioned to like, how much is a fret job? $50. Whether it's your Paul Reed Smith or it's your Squire. Yet, even though I'm taking an hour and a half on the Squire and 30 minutes on the PRS, I charge the same rate. And techs always use the law of averages, kind of like, okay, well, except for here's what's happening. It's mostly now cheap guitars, right? And the expensive guitars are doing it to you as well. So you're now all of a sudden you're getting inundated with more work, right? That takes up more time and you're watching the rates increase. My prediction, which is happening right now, so it's not even a prediction anymore. It was a prediction two years ago when I was saying it, is that as guitars continually to get less expensive, because they're still on that trend as a whole, the work to fix them is going to get extremely expensive to the point where it's going to get crazy, where it's going to be like, it's already getting like that. How much is a Harley Benton? $300. It's a good guitar. How much does it get fretwork done? $300. And people are going to go, oh my God, that's what I paid for the guitar. And you're like, right. oh, you got to learn to do it yourself, right? So, so you're saying we should start selling guitar tools? No, yes. Well, you should definitely <laughs> learn to do as much work as you can because the rates are just going to keep getting more expensive sure. as that as it happens. But also, it's important to bring up because uh, the best term I ever heard when it comes to manufacturing guitars is fast and slow guitars. Right. You ever heard this term before, Dan? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, it's killing me right now because I can't even tell you. But there's an American manufacturer about to release. I'm going to get so much trouble. I can't tell you. I can't tell you the whole, but I'll tell you this. There's an American manufacturer about to release a series of guitars. And secretly, they're called fast guitars. And it's because of what I'm about to tell you. Because it's not, So I'm not the only one using the term is what I'm trying to say. Um, okay. Fast guitars and slow guitars. The, the term is a mass-produced Indonesian guitar. I'm just picking the Indonesian. Are fast. They're made quickly. In other words, made, you know, I mean, less hand time on them, less total time. So basically a guitar from, see, again, not worrying about, uh, even though I said country of origin, not worrying about that. It's like total time to make an Ibanez Geo is six hours. Let's just throw in a, a t time, right? We're talking about complete, you know, painted the whole thing here, six hours, right? I'm just throwing a, a non, these aren't real numbers, but they'll just make sense. Time to make a prestige, 23 hours, mm -hmm. right? The idea is then you can call one guitar as a fast-made guitar and one's a slow-made guitar, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That's why the prices change. Manufacturers, I'm slowly more watching them more and more talk in this language, right? How many guitars can they make? Paul Reed Smith was really hardcore about this when he made the S2 line. Remember, it was all about how fast can he make a guitar in his American facility. You're seeing it more and more with manufacturers saying this exact kind of logic, which is, okay, this guitar is made faster, uh, Fender did it when they did the uh, highway series, they would do the finishes in satin, right? Because a lot, obviously we all know satin finishes are a lot faster to, to spray and cure and do. So faster make guitar costs less. And that's really the reality of it. You know what I mean? Uh, if, and so the reason I tell you that is the fast guitars, part of the problem is they're not getting the fret work yeah. done. And that's where your friend. And so what's happening is before is where you had a guitar player that's used to buying a guitar, inexpensive guitar, buying some pickups, throwing them in there. But now it's do some pickups, do some tuning keys, fix the right. frets. Right. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Um, the, the fret, the frets is where people stop. That's where they're, they're reluctant to uh, to experiment there. Yeah. So. Um, in, in, in my personal travels, uh, most guitar players will stop when they're learning to tweak on their guitars they stop at frets and nut you know what i mean doing that work and fret work that's the thing they're afraid to mess up mm -hmm. and then that is in turn is why you get to charge more for it now 
Right, Phil, I'm going to have to stop you there. I really don't want to because I, not only have I enjoyed this, I have been schooled. I have renewed my respect for you. The people of my channel and the Guitar Stories podcast world will definitely have enjoyed this. And I feel genuinely honored and reinvigorated to have you on the show. So thank you really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. But we have to stop because we're way over time. <laughs> but if you want more of this, then we can come to your podcast and live yeah. and do stuff. And I actually am now because I've forgotten. Honestly, now I, I, I being a YouTuber, we don't get to watch other people's videos. And I've forgotten how much I enjoy your your way of doing what what we do. So yeah, I'm going to come back. I'm, I'm back on the Phil McKnight train and I'm going to come and watch <laughs> and I'm going to come and bug you. And um, and I, I absolutely want you back like once every four weeks because it's so much fun <laughs> having you on. Phil, we'll thank you so, so edition. much. Yeah. <laughs> The film, the full film McKnight treatment. The full film Yes. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> so, Phil, when and where can we catch you live on your channel? You have your own podcast. I, yeah, I do it every Friday at three, uh, three uh, Pacific Standard Time, and then of course it's you know like you guys, it's put on all the platforms. Uh, but it's an edited version. I don't know if you guys do that. We do edited version. They don't get the listeners don't get the same version as the video. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of do some, some, some work on it, but not like I, I always wonder how, how much time do you spend on actually, uh, you know, do the timestamps? Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> let's let, let's leave it at it's horrible. Okay. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah. I don't want to be rude, but no, nope. I, I am being rude. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, Valeria, thank you so much. One of our moderators are putting Phil's channel link in the video live chat. Even though I'm sure Phil McKnight, you don't need to know what his channel is called because. You know, everybody knows Phil, but thank you so much. Thank no, you. You're welcome. I thank you for having me on. Thank you. You are 100% welcome. Yep. And uh, Ryan from 60s Alcohol is also watching. And now when we finish, it means he can release his video because he was waiting to, for us to finish before he could put a video live. So and everybody Ryan, go watch 60s Alcohol's video after this. Get ready yeah. and go and see his video. Yes, I'll go watch it right now, too. Before we leave, Dan's going to ask the audio listeners to uh, rate us five stars on the iTunes store, etc. Yeah, of course. Like every week. If, if you haven't done so, please grab your cell phone or your wife's cell phone or your dog's cell phone and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or a review on Spotify because this will help us to get some more visibility and get Phil back on the show and other exciting guests. And uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure, Phil. Thanks so much for joining. We've been... Uh, wanting you to have you on the show for quite some time and uh yeah i can't wait to have you back and talk more um like there there are still many, so many fields we haven't even you know touched slightly touched so uh that might make up for a, a wonderful follow-up conversation at a later point in time so thanks so much for joining us oh thank you guys okay live chat people thanks for joining us live and uh, future people on audio thank you for taking time out of your day to join us goodbye everybody Good night.